everyone, welcome to Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Tess Janos, and today is day 10 of 31 Days of Horror. We've officially hit the double digits for this horror comic book podcasting marathon. Thank you so much to everyone who is on this crazy ride with me. I'm having a hell of a good time, and I hope you are too. Make sure you are following along with this mummified marathon by following OCD on Instagram at OCD Podcast, Facebook at Facebook.com slash OCD Podcast, and Twitter at Ongoing Comic Pod. Lots of spooky stuff happening over here at OCD, and I don't want you to miss out. Speaking of spooky stuff, we are 21 days from the greatest holiday ever conjured and four days away from our first ever giveaway. Thanks to the generous dudes over at the Ready to Retro podcast, we are giving away a very undead Halloween package that includes a Walking Dead Daryl Dixon bobbinhead, bobbinhead, bobblehead, a Walking Dead Volume 1 comic, and OCD stickers. To enter is quite simple. Just head on over to your social media of preference, follow ongoing comic book discussion podcast, and share your favorite OCD horror post thus far tag us in your post along with the hashtag 31 days of horror comics and you will be entered into the raffle again make sure to tag ocd along with the hashtag so i can keep track of raffle entries the winner's name will be drawn from a magic hat on wednesday october 14th when i review the walking dead with max and chris from the ready to retro podcast so please be sure to enter that's one entry per person and it's gonna be a hoot hey guys you know who is also a hoot Today's guest co-host. At first, his name was Dude I Met at a Party, but I can definitely call him one of my dearest friends. This abundantly creative dude is always working on something fabulous and fun, and his knowledge for the weird and scary is quite spectacular. He is the co-host of This Is Rad, a podcast that discusses one particular topic with someone who is passionate about that subject. He's also the host of Everything Is Scary, a podcast that takes a deep dive into most anything horror-related. He also has a comedy record called Absolute Terror from his record label, Radland Records. He has been on OCD before, and I am so excited and honored he continues to come back. He is the ghoulishly delightful Kyle Clark. What's up, Kyle? Well, hey. <laughs> My God. I feel like the last time I was here was such a, now you're just like Miss Pro. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm goddamn delighted watching this. Uh, what was that alliteration? Mummified Madness? Mummified Marathon. That's it. I was like, fuck, she's good. She's got it all figured out. <laughs> like, she is. Ooh, I'm so uh, glad you were here, dude. You were the, just the, so the much master, fun. The learners become the master, yeah. and so now I will just fade to leaves and leave the world in your hands. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are certainly the podcasting master. I very much look up to you and your awesome work. Seriously, oh, this awesome. is I fucking love your show, oh. and I love like the way you've like really found a way to like take your voice and put it into it. It's been really inspiring and neat to watch. I'm just oh. I'm very very proud of you your show's fucking awesome and Thanks. it's exciting when i can say that and not lie to someone Thanks, pal. <laughs> <laughs> you ever i always describe this because like it's a thing i picked up from like uh i think the label and some other things like you ever have that relief when somebody is like oh i want to show you my thing yeah and like and it's good and you're just like oh thank god thank <laughs> I didn't <wanna> god lie <laughs> it's it's good i genuinely enjoy it i can be supportive and encouraging without having to worry yeah. like <laughs> Oh my god, I love that. That really means the world coming for you from you. I hope you know that. <laughs> Thirty one <laughs> horror podcasts. Yes. That's it's- I run a horror podcast. My brain goes, that's too much. <laughs> 
No. I've never successfully done a like 31 days of horror in October thing. Like, <laughs> like I mean, granted, like normally my Halloween starts uh, about October or August 28th. Oh, right. And so, so by the time I'm into October, I'm like, I don't know, this horror thing's gone on for a month and a half already. <laughs> little, Wait, little full up. Get a whole month to go. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so this will be interesting, too, since there's no haunts this year. Uh, I'm going to have to figure out. I've heard rumors of, like, drive through haunts, and that sounds like some solid-ass methadone. Yeah. But, like, I I am having to, like, figure out, like, now, like, creative ways when the itch comes to solve things. Mm-hmm. So I think my big thing is I'm just going to terrify myself with a thousand shitty horror video games. <laughs> Uh, I also bought one of those cell phone VR things because a friend who's also haunt obsessed pointed out that somebody ran through a couple of last year's mazes at Knott's and Universal oh with a 360 my, camera. Oh, my God. So that's, again, going to be another, like, you're just going to, it's going to be weird to, like, cry in a VR headset. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it doesn't fog up real bad. That's a real concern. Or just shut down with water yeah. and technology. I'm just going to put some rain in there and, yes. and maybe a towel. <laughs> So, that would actually be a, really cool. What's uh, been the highlight so far? Like if we're at day 10. That is really hard to say because everybody comes on here just like just so excited about their comics. I honestly, I, I can't pick. I well, If I had to pick, I would say, okay, let's do this. The most fun one has been TMNT and uh, Batman crossover comic. Oh, fun. Okay. <laughs> the IDW one. Yes. And that one is really fun, and it's the funnest one out of the ten because apparently all my friends love like just disturbing horror. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I have, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> what you, yeah, what do you? We mean? certainly won't get into that. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, Kyle, uh, I need you to do a horror comic, and I was so excited to ask you because you are just absolutely obsessed with this genre. There, there, there are two things I like a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the answer I gave you is. Uh, definitely one, you know, and sort of the other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, TMNT. Okay, I have yeah. not read their crossover Batman stuff oh, yet, but good. I I read their Ghostbusters crossover and liked that it a lot. Those good. the 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 IDW both Turtles and Ghostbusters stuff is better than it has any right to be. Dude, it's so fun. I just want to own them and pick them up because you can cruise through them in like thirty minutes. I, oh yeah, IDW is kind of killing it lately with just like yeah. good, fun, easy to read comics that like don't feel like you're dumber at the end. Yeah, <laughs> like you need to go back ten years and read a bunch like, of comics. Like, because occasionally I'll, I'll enjoy something and go like, I'm definitely a worse person for reading this, but like <laughs> it was fun. Whereas like those, I'm just like, all right, it's uh, you know, it's it's like getting. A, like veggie grill it's still not like yeah. you know the ideal thing to put in your body but at the same time it's like this was pretty good this had had soy in it this uh. is yeah this is good for now i heard soy's good for you uh, <laughs> you know what i thought of which i think is so funny so i really did meet you at a party it was my sister's yes. christmas party oh uh, uh, it was christmas party that's what it was yeah, i thought it was halloween too i put down halloween and i was like wait no i swear it was after because i well because i i was also at jess's halloween party but we didn't meet then that's right i think i left before you got there Yes, I believe yes, so. Yes. And then, yeah. And so it was, I, I get them both confused because it's just, I've been to that house three times <laughs> and once was to hang out with you and the other two were for holiday parties. Yes. <laughs> so my, so people that don't know, I'm Tess. My sister is Jess. Um, I just got that. I'm going to be real with you. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I wish I were joking. How embarrassing. <laughs> Tess. Well, because she goes by Jesse, but you said Jess, and I was like, well, I could just play off that. So Tess and Jesse. So my name is constantly Jetess. 
you know? You could also be Tessie. I could be Tessie, but there don't was, do that. Don't thank you. There was a weird, <laughs> a weird professor in college that used to call me Tessie because I was the only girl in the networking class, and it was it, it was awkward. I was like, you shouldn't be calling me Tessie. You're you're yeah. strange. Um, but <laughs> what was what is really funny is that so you so sought me out at the party because somebody told you that I had a horror podcast. Yeah, Taylor, uh, my girlfriend who is is friends with both you and your sister Jessie yes. uh, was like, uh, oh, Jessie's sister has a horror podcast. Maybe <laughs> you guys will get along. And at that point, I had already finished my, my uh, snowman who had killed Santa Claus <laughs> painting at the art station. Yes. Uh, and so I had I'd moved on to trying to figure out something to do. And I was like, wait a minute. Someone can talk about horror movies this party. This this party just got wild. And and then you're like, no, I don't. And I was like, boo. And then you're like, but I have a podcast about comic books. I'm like, that will also do. <laughs> we can also talk. I think I had like a, a Jason uh, mug as well, Friday the 13th Yes. Mug. And so it was a real, like, I was like, she's still tricking me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't believe her. And now we are here where all the things have coalesced. Yes. So. For a month, this is like, a horror podcast, for sure. Now, are these coming out in October? Yes, so today is okay. October 10th. God, pre-recording. Well done. <laughs> I wish I was ever that organized about anything. Well, the pandemic has certainly provided me with lots of time. That is, that is true. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> it's uh, it's Yeah, it's been a fun adventure. I've got, I've got a couple of projects going. One thing I can't talk about yet has been eating up a lot of time, and it's been Ooh. fun. It's definitely a thing that, like... I don't think would have happened had Q not happened. Ah. And I'm like really proud of how it's turning out. I'll tell you about it after the yes, fact. Please. It might have things uh, pertinent to this show as part of it. Ooh. Winky, winky. Ooh. Uh, and so, so that's been a fun and exciting thing to like learn. And then also, like, I spent five years of podcasting going, like, I just don't think that online podcasts, you know, are viable. Yes. And then, like, <laughs> had to learn how to do that across two platforms pretty fucking fast. <laughs> Uh, you literally that said that the last time you were here on when you did Mr. Miracle, you I was were like, like I, just I don't, hate it. I, I hate it, and I still do. But here I am. I do it. I do close to six hours a week of it. And yes. So, you know, it's evolved. On the other hand, I do laugh that like I've had this focused right audio interface for for composing and recording music for years, mm-hmm. and it mostly lives in my desk, and now it's just permanently out, and it's just like. You know, it just keeps laughing and going, like, you scoffed when you bought me because I was cheap. And now it's <laughs> the most important thing you own. Now you need me to survive. <laughs> also, anybody out there who doesn't currently have a podcast, uh, if and when the pandemic closes, if you're a musician or a podcaster, I cannot imagine a time where there's going to be cheaper audio interfaces than the, the month after the world opens back up. As everyone's like, see you in hell, tool that I needed <laughs> and no longer have use for. Yes. Oh, man, that's a really good point. I actually should uh, I gotta get some new equipment because I definitely want to have more live. You podcasts. got a pimped out rig from what oh, I no. can see here. You got curtains. You got yeah. a pop guard. Like, oh, yeah, I, I see just the tail end of some acoustic foam oh, yeah. on, on your right. Yes. Well, we're setting up our office and I'm hoping to make a YouTube channel for OCD so I can do like interviews, you know, in front of my comic collection. <laughs> nice. So we'll see what happens. If anything, I would love to do live interviews because I have to say one of my absolute favorite podcasts was coming on to yours to talk about roller derby because I haven't had an in-person podcast since the very like first two episodes of OCD. And it was so much better because I, I, like you, am a people person and I jump, I bounce off better when I can feel the energy in the room. And uh, so I am I am craving that. So yeah. hopefully that happens. It's uh, I feel you on that. We got to get you back on Rad too. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love. It's been to. tricky because like, my my internet is just dodgy enough that I'm like I can't have total strangers be doing the show. We just had our first like 
person. I have one friend and she did the show. She's a very funny comedian. Mm-hmm. And now she has this weird side hustle where when she sees funny comedians at shows, like, like uh, she throws them my way. And we've had a couple from that. And they've both been like people who I'm like, I have no idea who this person is. And both have been delights. Oh, and good. So it's been, oh, been good. a fun game. Um, but but yeah, it's been been wild stuff. We got to get you back on. Yeah, I'd love to come back on. I'd love to, man. Uh, well, do you want to jump into this here should comic? We, should we just do it to it? I know I could I could literally. Just, it's I was gonna just... it's gonna go. So like yeah, we yeah. we could catch up for hours, but like we should I should I should no. talk about comics on ongoing comic book discussion. No, I, <laughs> it's fine. My first question was what does Halloween mean to you? But it just the answer is everything. I I'm a fan. I enjoy it. <laughs> I like candy. Uh, what's weird? Not a big costume guy. Okay. Like we'll do a costume, but not a huge costume. Mostly because I'm a giant monster. I was person. just gonna say because you're so tall. Yeah. Okay. So so there's not a lot of situations where like you can't go and just pick something up. And also right. like I've had a beard most of my adult life, <laughs> and so you kind of have to play around. So I was shaggy for five years because I had a green amazing. shirt and red pants, <laughs> and so I could just slip in. I was the dude for a couple of times before that. Oh, good. My current one is. Uh, without having to explain too much, years ago I bought a pair of glorious polyester white pants at an outlet mall, uh, <laughs> and I still have them. And I bought a like navy style white shirt and put some patches on it. So now I'm Dallas Tom Skerritt's character from Alien, and that's just oh, my go-to because he has a beard. <laughs> and I get to both use my white pants, have a default costume, and get to dress like I'm in the movie Alien and be Tom Skerritt. So it really works out on a lot of levels. <laughs> What did uh, Halloween mean to you when you were a kid, though? Was it like the traditional stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was trick-or-treating. For me, like, the only thing that made going back to school acceptable was the fact that the Halloween stores opened. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was a real, like, I always felt real torn because, like, didn't want to go back to school but could not wait for Halloween Adventure to open. And so, <laughs> and and again, I grew up a real fraidy cat. I was, like, afraid really? of everything. Oh, super duper. Like, like uh, hated the couple of times my parents had taken me to haunts as a kid. Like, could I couldn't ride the Haunted Mansion without crying, but let me put it this way. I couldn't ride Pirates of the Caribbean without oh. crying. <laughs> like, I was a very fraidy kid. And then... Uh, the the things that kind of I was always attracted to horror because I was so afraid of it. Mm, oh, really? And, yeah, and then and then it was like looking at VHS boxes back when my grocery store had a, a video store in of it. Of course, yeah. Like when my mom was checking out, I'd just go like look at those. Eventually, started like picking up the boxes because they weren't going to bite me right. and reading the backs and trying to understand. And then like my folks let me start getting into like the universal horror films and like old school stuff. And I actually had a brother, my brother's tutor when he was younger was a big Hitchcock fan. And she found out I was a big film buff at 12 and started lending me Hitchcock VHSs. And so I got into psycho and dial in for murder and rear window and shit like that through her. And then like, it was all this like uh, like and then scream came out and as a kid when i finally saw scream i was like wait you can make jokes and murder teens yeah. this is all i'm interested <laughs> in and then like started writing a lot of that and then columbine happened and i had to kind of hide it and i had yeah. to kind of couch it in other stuff for a long time so it did a lot of like superhero-y kind of stuff more as a writer or like comedy things but always kind of like that other and it took you know almost 15 years before I started dabbling again because I just wow. was so hardwired that like well if you write something unpleasant the police will come uh just oh. but but what's funny is like but only for myself reading right. things I would read the fuckedest things possible and, like yeah. there's no faster way to get me to read or watch something than saying it was banned in several countries <laughs> you're like I'm in <laughs> uh I'm just like all for it but then I'm just like but then a character stubs their toe I'm like I'm gonna get the gas chamber <laughs> like <laughs> 
And so, so it's been fun now that I've started, you know, in the last maybe five, six years moving towards writing kind of like horror and genre stuff because, and, and part of what inspired me on that was both things like black hole play into this because Mm -hmm. it it was, he's part of kind of a suite of stuff that like, I'd always loved horror-y stuff, Mm -hmm. but I find especially the older I get and the deeper into horror I've really doubled down on over the, you know, the last 10 years is that like, I love horror is my favorite. Like comedy is my heart, but horror is right. like my soul. Right. Uh, right. And I don't know. Sci-fi is my brain or something yeah. like that. But like, <laughs> and with the, the horror stuff, one of the reasons that I started playing with writing it and also like just getting inspired is finding horror. That is, I think horror sort of like superhero comics has a tendency to congratulate itself and celebrate itself by the fact that it hasn't changed or evolved at all. Okay. Okay. And there's like a weird layer of just like, I love the way this reminds me of absolutely everything that has come before, which to me is like the least interesting way to make art. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And it was, and, 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 but I still love it, but there's sort of that, like, I love this, but also like, like, you know, I've seen it. And I think like, you know, for, and comics, it, it, bifurcated into still making mine marvel and you know and reading dark knight returns and all these kinds of things but also like getting into things like sandman mm-hmm. and yeah, alan moore and and all that shit like sandman's another thing that i love with all my heart that was i believe the other thing i was throwing out yeah uh and that then started pushing me towards like i mean vertigo was probably one of the most significant things on me creatively ever like the 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 everything that was just that was that was if it was a vertigo i was interested and okay. then that pushed me towards indie comics and getting into Adrian Tomini and and Dan Klaus, uh, you know, and things like that. And some of it I loved and some of it I like liked and I was attracted to like Dan Klaus. I didn't get for a long time, but I liked the way it looked and there was something in there, but it was so different than anything I had read before mm-hmm. that it like I had my brain had to like grow to wrap around it. And so Black Hole. See, I'm bringing it all together. Look at you. Comes out as a trade paperback in 2005. And I think the year before that, for Christmas, I'd gotten this, like, coffee table book called, like, Graphic Novels or something. It was a real border staple. And it's just a big sampler of different books across genres. Wow. And I've read most of the books in it at this point. It was a real great primer for a lot of stuff. And there's still books from it that I'm, that I'm you know, chasing down reading now, you know, and one of the books in it was black hole and it describing it as like a, a teen horror body horror story set in the seventies. Like I'm obsessed with the seventies. Nice. I'm obsessed with high school. I'm obsessed with body horror. So I was like, well, this has to happen. Yeah, This is check, check, check. This is for me. And it turned, Oh, and, and I'm a, like Raymond Pettibone's one of my favorite artists. So like, I love, always had a real soft spot for like stark pen and ink, mm-hmm. you know, art. And, and, and that being Charles Burns' kind of go-to is just this beautiful black and white style. Mm-hmm. And, and so I happened to get lucky that, that I'd had that book and then Black Hole comes out in 2005. So I, I actually am reading my, my soft cover because at some point over the years, my hardcover first edition got stolen. What? Um, Somebody and so, thought, you know what? I want to steal that comic. They- I'm I'm certain that I made the mistake I used to make, where I would talk to someone about something, and I'm so passionate about it that I lend <laughs> them my prized possession, hoping it will oh. change their life, how it changed mine, and then right. they just lose it, and I am just uh, out one precious item. Yeah, you're like mm, a little less of a lender, out. or if I'm yeah. lending something, it's something I'm not as attached to. Right. But uh, 
so I read Black Hole the winter break after my freshman year of college. Oh, shit. And so you're freshman I, high school. Yes. And I am a hot fucking mess when I come home for that break. Mm-hmm. I, I am not doing well. And and I am in a pretty dark spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, am kind of reading this book, which is a pretty dark book in a lot of ways. But it's oh, not yeah. dark. It's not dark in like the traditional dark ways because right. it's not like, oh, I'm bound and somebody's cutting my feet off. Like it's, yes. oh, I'm late for my job and I'm just paralyzed by depression. So I'm just going to sit in this rainy garage and smoke joints and hate everyone. Because yes. <laughs> like, yes. like and and you know f- getting into it like so i read it and it just breaks my brain i'm just like this is not like anything else i've ever read this art is maybe the most beautiful shit i've ever seen i i i cribbed a couple of pieces pages from it for like posters for my bands back in the day and just in general and and nobody had really read it around me mm-hmm. and so it was this weird little secret thing i had that was just like this whole other universe and, you know and i probably read this book 20 30 times wow. or something like yeah. and 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 it's weird cuz it's one of the handful of things where like Every time I read it, I find something different. The more I grow, the more like I interpret entire chunks of it differently. Mm-hmm. But it's also weird how the more I interpret some things and go like, oh, this was like, I don't think I could have articulated parts of why it resonated me we- with me when I was younger that I now read and go like, oh, I didn't even stand a fucking chance. <sighs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. This like, so you have, um, I was going to say tendency. It's a beautiful tendency of finding these stories that are like in between the cracks of those cracks. Like it's like stories that need to be told and have never been told and nobody knows about. So when you said black hole, I was like, well, I know that whatever Kyle's going to want to review, I'm going to have to dig through the internet to find. And I, I mean, it was pretty attainable. I I thought, I thought that I would, but I did find it on uh, Amazon. I will say that, but this also, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Please go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say like it, it, yes, it was attainable. I should say that, but it was like, it's not like at the front of the comic store. Like read me. You know what I mean? hundred percent. It lacks any, spider-man exactly uh, <laughs> yes there are no uh, spider-man in this <laughs> zero spider-man zero. uh a real detriment to it but uh yeah. i you know the one of the things that has become a fascination to me about charles burns and this is i'm pulling some stuff from my notes now please is he is a a very striking artist and he yeah. is very like technically talented but he's mm-hmm. also weird as shit and totally. i'll say this Black Hole, what you just read, is his most approachable work. No way. It's I... his least weird book. Oh, and I yeah. there's definitely other stuff he's written that I'll recommend as, as yeah. we get maybe towards the end or something like that. Because he has a, a, a weird bibliography, but it's really interesting. But he has, over the years, done a ton of commercial art. And it's really? been he's been a huge inspiration for me because like I like the weird mm-hmm. and but I also like exist in the commerce of the entertainment world and would like people to like see the work I do. Sure, yeah. And growing up in punk rock, you're always a little weird about like commercial stuff because as something I've you know experienced at different jobs over in the past and stuff like that, when you work stuff like that there's a lot of like rules and there's usually like a real square person at the top signing your checks who's like eh, like who when they hire you they're like i want you to make something really interesting yeah. and then when you bring them something interesting they're like this is too weird and it it's frightens real. me and yeah. and i've always been inspired because charles burns he did altoid ads 
What? Like print Altoid ads. Go look them up. They're insane. They're amazing. They just had him do these like three panel strips that would appear in like Maxim and shit. Wow. Like, and that was an early place where like I didn't even realize he was this artist I already knew about. He yeah. also he has a couple of interesting ones. He was also the official cover artist for The Believer. The What's the the, the, the oh, Believer's is a, a literary magazine. Okay. Um, and, and I guess kind of culture magazine it, mm-hmm. I don't, I think it stills out when I was in college. If you were like a literary hipster, it was a thing like McSweeney's and the believer were just shit you had to have, you yeah. know, in your head. And I like, you know, they covered a lot of people I liked and did a lot of things like that, but that was a crazy thing. He's done shit for the New York times art wise. Wow. The ones I'm fascinated. He did an Iggy pop album cover in the early nineties. The I album cover that. for I brick by that. brick is, is him. And then the, the, the one that I'm always fascinated by is uh, okay. Soda. Are you familiar with this? <laughs> no, was that Oklahoma soda? <laughs> okay, no. So OK Soda was grunge soda in the what? early '90s when the grunge explosion happens, which okay. is the thing I'm obsessed with because it's the the last time uh, culture surprised capitalism and okay. capitalism had to fucking move okay. and like post post Nirvana, they're like never again. Yeah, never yeah. again do we allow the people to choose what is popular. Right. Uh, and so uh, it will be cold play from now forward. Yes. Uh, oh God. Yeah. And so, uh, but he he OK Soda was this company that I believe it's a Coca Cola sub brand, but they tried to make a soda marketed to apathetic Gen Xers, and the can art was all art by all these cool early '90s independent comic artists. So it's okay. like Dan Klaus and Charles Burns. I think Gary Panter might have had a can or something like that. Maybe wow. not, but like. And it's there's just this weird orange soda and all the commercials are like, you are OK and we will all be OK. And it's such a such a weird thing. But he was one of the, the artists of that. Uh, he also had a couple other weird things. I'm just throwing out random facts. Please, I love this. I'm so entertained um, right now. He has several segments, uh, or like comic segments, that were turned into different movie elements. There's oh. an incredible French animated film called Fears of the Dark that mm-hmm. is an animated horror film that's an anthology. And he has a piece in it that is really interesting because they use like sort of cell shading technology, like was really hip in video games for a few years. Mm-hmm. And they take that and put his 2D art over these cell shaded shapes to create sort of a weird three-dimensional version of his art. So like that was a, that, it's kind of a wild one. The other one is there's a great documentary that your listeners, if they're curious, should hundred percent check out called comic book confidential. It also came out in the yes, early nineties, late eighties. Yes, yes, it's yes, great. Yes. It's on Amazon prime right now. Oh, great. Um, okay. Yeah, there's like a that. weird run there's like five great comic book documentaries on amazon prime right now like it's kind of crazy there's like that Ooh. one uh thrill the, power she, which she is the 2000 comics? ad one she okay. wrote comics that's so that's a third and then there's also a great one on on warren ellis that's also and i believe the grant morrison one's on there too so there's some Ooh. good stuff out there um the uh uh the comic book confidential does takes a charles burns story a is it Jill Thompson, I think, story and mm-hmm. uh, and a Jamie Her- uh, Jaime Hernandez story um, and turns them all into kind of like sort of like reading rainbow, like motioned narrated versions of the story. Oh. And they do w- one of his big baby stories, who was a character he had created back in the day because he kind of jumped around. He got really prominent through Raw magazine, okay. which in the 80s, Art Spiegelman, who went on to be real famous for making Mouse. Him and his wife had a incredible comics magazine in the 80s called uh, Raw, and it was all featuring uh, beautiful comic art from vintage people like Windsor McKay and stuff oh, like wow. that. So they'd have like old Little Nemo pieces, re- you know, reprinted and then like 
people like you know Charles Burns or Dan Klaus or Julie uh, Julie Doucette and stuff like that would throw in like weird pieces and then they'd also have it was just it's a really neat book I have a big tabloid thing called read yourself raw that's chunks from the first three issues it's definitely a rabbit hole worth going down if you have any listeners who are interested in like indie comic stuff Mm because it's very much a like raw is very much like one of those things that then kind of like the people who work on that go on to be the vanguard of like 90s underground comic stuff and so it's it's really neat like mouse was originally like published in there and also uh in raw magazine was a short that he did like a series of strips called teen plague and Teen Plague is the huh. original version of Black Hole. I was going to say. So okay. it he t- it took 10 years to make this comic. He started working on Black Hole in, I believe, 1994. Mm-hmm. And it comes out in 2004 is when the last issue, single issue finishes. 12 and issues. before that, he'd still had years of doing Teen Plague before that. And it's this weird run that you look through his career and like, up to that point so much of what he's working on is leading to black hole and it was a weird thing when it came out after i got into it learning like oh i got to see this other stuff and then then you you find you know a lot of his other work like he has like hard-boiled defective comics and big baby and skin deep and all these kind of like indie books that are kind of hard to find now and then you realize like oh he just spent 10 years making it there's a good chance i don't know when we're gonna get this back and then you ultimately end up with the trilogy i'll talk about kind of at the end that's the thing that comes out after this that is uh I you I don't think that it exists if Black Hole and his other early work because it feels like such a coalescing of so much of his other stuff. Wow. But uh, but so getting into Black Hole, so I'm reading it and and let's just I first before anything else, and I'm sorry I feel like I'm really I love talking this. too much. No, um, you what, can never talk too much on OCD. You know that. What was your experience with this? Because I'm dying to know because I have not asked you. And I so she asked me everybody, and <laughs> I immediately said this because it's my I, I I don't know if I've said it. Or not. This is my favorite comic book of all time. This okay, is this is without a doubt official. Like okay. there's other ones I love, but like as far as like a single thing goes, Black Hole is without a doubt my favorite. Oh, yeah. And every time I read it, if I get far enough away, I go is it and they come back I'm like oh it super is uh so i forget that it is uh a a little alienating b highly sexual Mm -hmm. uh and c a little gross uh and (laughs) and uh, so with all that said we'll get into it as we go along but like i would love to hear what your experience with it was yeah so i started reading it at a laundromat and i got to a like you said very sexual and i got to a few scenes and then i realized i was in a public place and people were walking by so i should probably like hold it close like i had like a nudie magazine in my hand or something um no it was awesome because i i feel like these are the kind of stories that need to be told. It's like, obviously, there's not a teenage plague going around. Like, you know, I mean, there is technically. I mean, STDs exist, but nothing like mutating like this. Uh, f- physically mutating, which is so interesting. It was like, so you may have an STD, but you can't see it. And then when you have this one, though, everybody can see it. And so then these kids just go hide away. But it's also like this huge metaphor for these outcasts in society the the stereotypical like cool high schooler you know the losers they never really talk about and these guys just have no hope for life they have you know and it's not just because of their situation they also have like some kids they can't go home not because of their situation but because their home life is terrible and um i just thought it was so interesting that he was able to tap into that brain space and and then some it was it was weird but cool and it was a really quick read, even though it was 12 issues thick. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's a big book. 
It's a big book. I could, I could. It is, it is daunting, as as yes. Neil Gaiman once said. Uh, it's it's the kind of book you could bludgeon a burglar to death with. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's huge, but it's just you go through it so quickly, and I realized by the end of it that. I'm like, okay, if I, I could probably write one sturdy paragraph about what this was about from 12 issues because this was more of a feeling comic than anything. It was like when you're in the comic and you're reading it, you're you're in that world. You're in their headspace. Like it's 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 told from so many different points of view and the timeline the timeline, he takes it and he like goes backward, then forward, then somebody. I else's forgot perspective. how much of a flashback is the the ending has that that yeah. re- rereading it last night. I was like, oh shit, I forgot that this ends and then ends again with some middle. Yeah, but but the thing is, like, you could easily lose your audience with that, but but he doesn't let you get lost. Well, I think he does a really clever thing there where he streamlines it and sort of gets you to a finish point, and then with Keith's storyline and then comes back for the Chris stuff, but also like you then get answers to stuff from the Keith storyline that, that you didn't know there. And you're sort of like, Oh, little, I wonder what that was. And then you kind of get all of it. And it's interesting because like, no, like it's it's smart on two levels one it it allows the reader to to complete one thought without having to like get a lot of information and then come back to a because the keith ending uh you know is a very like like small ending right. i'll say like right. like it's 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 i mean neither ending chris's story or keith's story are bombastic mm-hmm. in any way mm-hmm. but Chris's information that is relevant to her is only made available to the reader in the Chris storyline because Keith wouldn't really know all of that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think it's really clever the way he does that, where like it fills you with all the information Chris would have and what he does with it, and then it shows what or I mean with Keith, and then when you get to Chris's story, you find out all this stuff that would be how it colors her story. Right, and how can I give it- you? Uh, oh yeah and and yeah I think I'll, I've got like lots of ending thoughts but also like like from from the start like also uh f- first time reading it the sheer volume of subconscious subliminal sexual imagery in this book yeah. completely passed me over oh, really? and the fact that the first <laughs> image first page is a vagina it is and yeah. and I Boom. literally took the second passage and I'm like oh, oh I'm a fucking <laughs> idiot I get uh, it <laughs> <laughs> and and the fact that the the vaginal image and the character he is at the beginning of the story fixated on all make him collapse mm-hmm. uh you know is such an interesting thing like like it it's it sets a tone for the dreamy nature of the story as it goes along and it's cuz it's weird i feel like this book does something that like certain things like uh you know it takes some of that David Lynch or David Cronenberg kind of like not all the information is at hand, but it feels like it is kind right. of thing you feel and like really you know does that well. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, um, I want to take it back just a sec to give a kind of a summary of what's going on. It's like a super simple timeline, but it's like it like when you pitched this to me, I was like, oh, that sounds uncomfortable. But it was like. I don't know the way he did his storytelling like we're explaining it was just so he did a gorgeous job like it yeah. like I want to read more of his stuff he kept so, us in mind oh oh yeah so yeah. his you know the story basically is it's set in the suburbs of Seattle in the 70s and mm-hmm. there is a disease, sexually transmitted disease amongst teenagers that turns you into sort of a deformed mutant mm-hmm. 
And if that happens, you tend to le- you have to leave home. Uh, it, it never really bothers to explain why that is. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you totally get it. And you're like, yep, this is this is real to go. Yeah. Uh, and 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 they live out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like it's the plot, but it's super not because mm-hmm. it's also about two different teenagers coming of age and falling in love for the first time mm-hmm. and how that in and of itself is a horror story. Yes. And then there's an actual horror story also happening. And I love how often you start to forget that part because you're so caught up in the teen mm-hmm. drama the of it all. And yep. then by the time they all crash together and you realize like, oh, this was all, you know, and it, it has a little bit of that adolescent romance thing of everything seems so important. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the decision making processes across all of the characters are never good. No one makes a good decision in this entire <laughs> goddamn story. No. It's like they they're like, I must run away forever. I'm like, why don't you go tell your mom? She'll take yeah. you to the doctor and maybe we'll find a cure. But no. And these aren't just like normal mutations you turn into like an alien. I mean you kinda do, but there's yeah. there's like kids with boils on their face it's very varying degrees as a guy where like his teeth are kind of stuck open at one point um the ones that we find that we follow are chris and rob who are like the main one of the main love stories if not the main there's love there's story. like there's two two stories i think like they kind of yeah. carry equal weight there's the chris timeline and there's the 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 keith timeline the keith timeline right um, not timeline but story stories yeah so Rob has a mouse on his neck, another a How secondary mouse. How great is that whole thing? Because it's yeah. so fucked up, but it's so simple. Right, but like his while he's asleep, his mouth reveals to just just starts talking about what he, his actual inner dialogue is saying, which makes it very complicated for anybody who's sleeping next to him because they're like is that how you really feel (laughs) which i thought was amazing (laughs) but at least like rob is uh just one giant uh penis that wants to fuck everything so his brain is of course full of him talking about like whatever is on his mind which is never the front that he is actually presenting to the people he's with yeah and even and when his girlfriend chris starts making out with his second mouth i was like whoa this took it to a whole nother level like i didn't even think that that was maybe the moment where i was like this might be my favorite book (laughs) like that is genius (laughs) like this might be because like you could not do that and it would be fine yeah the fact that that and and not just because it's crazy but also like the motivations chris has and the way rob reacts to it Mm -hmm. because it it freaks him out and he says it feels too good but there is also this subtext of like he is not used to dealing with being accepted for who he is. He right. perpetually has to put this front on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the fucking, I love his douchey bit about smoking cools and just saying, smoke what you are. Cause yes. it's such a piece of shit like, dork fucking thing. <laughs> but like, she loves it and, yeah. and love because she loves him. And, yeah. and you feel this weird sense of, it, it's so funny doing the reading this time because it's been a f- couple of years since I've read it. And having a very different, like, you know, just from growing up and getting older, like, views on, like, relationships and and attraction, stuff like that. And it's Mm -hmm. funny because, like, Chris and Keith are so similar. And, like, their two storylines really ostensibly mirror each other Mm -hmm. in weird ways. But, like, the difference being, like, the way it turns out is sort of, like, this sense of, like, this is the randomness of the universe. Is that sometimes shit works out, sometimes it doesn't, but there is, like... Again, I feel like I keep getting to the end just because it's fresh in my head. But like, no. and there's hundreds of things we haven't gotten into. But like, their their storylines, you know, 
Chris is such a, a fascinating storyline because it's somebody who is ostensibly works to get what they want and it is a nightmare mm-hmm. and and you know whereas like Keith thinks he knows what he wants and is able to let go and by letting go and just letting whatever's going to happen happen instead of trying to create your own future has a, a arguably a better ending I will argue that I think the endings are actually flipped from what you actually read but we'll get there Ooh, okay. um, but but yeah that kissing the neck moment is such a wild thing it's <sighs> such a like holy shit they're doing it yeah exactly yeah and what's crazy is that Chris uh, who is a girl she's very attached to rob for the sake of they have the same disease as well he gets from her or she gets from him exactly and she gets it from him so she attaches that way and then they move into the woods together because why not and before this even happened her relation with rob she's like this super popular loved girl in high school and she just can't really stand it or i don't know she she seems to she seems to resent her life Yes. And yet constantly takes for granted her life. Right. And and I think that's what's what makes Chris such a new character is because I I think one of the one of the reasons I love this book so much is that it doesn't condemn any character. Every character right. is treated as a three dimensional person. Like Chris mm-hmm. is kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like she's kind of a dick. Like even there's there's whole chunks where she, characters are showing her kindness and she resents them for it, despite her n- not only needing what they're giving but taking it and still being angry at people whether they show her kindness or shittiness she sort of treats everybody with the same level of disdain because she's kind of because she's selfish and but the book is never like and she's a bad person who must be selfish for being punished it's like her actions you know results you know you know it's that teenage thing of like your actions you don't ever think beyond your own action what it's going to be like when you do the thing you want and then it goes awry if you had thought about it, you'd be like, oh, well, this is where this will go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are so impulsive. And I think that when you see that in narrative, your default is to be mad at that person because we want fictional characters to behave yeah, in an certain, idealized yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I fucking love about Charles Burns and really about indie comics in general is there is this tendency to, instead of condemning characters who are complicated, exploring why they do the things they do and also like how that affects them because sometimes Mm -hmm. you can see a shitty character but also like shitty things happen to them so it's Mm -hmm. like they they have they have are living the life they set out to live and Mm -hmm. i think that like it's interesting with chris is like rob is not a terrible guy he's also just like kind of a selfish person and neither of them do a lot of thinking through and so by the time everything goes pear-shaped you're just sort of like you're rooting for him even but you're rooting for them because they're idiots yeah, you want it to work out like you, it, and that's the thing that Charles. You want Burns, it to be Moonrise Kingdom, and it is not. It is. It is not. It, it like there are no. If anything, at the end, you keep referencing the end, but it's so important because if you're expecting like a, and they all lived happily ever, it's not going to happen here. There's not. If anything, there's not even really a solid resolution. You're just kind of left to. You just leave them when when it's time. And and, and actually, this is one of the things I wrote in my note is that this story plays out like your memories of adolescence play out yes in that it Mm -hmm. is scary and sexy and Mm -hmm. boring and sad and also like it doesn't end cleanly because your life doesn't end cleanly as a teen like Mm -hmm. you you don't all right well now i'm 18 i'm out of high school the end it's like no you move on to whatever is next and you don't know what that is and 
you know, boyhood in a weird way has the same ending as black hole Mm -hmm. because it's all just people looking in one form or another at an unknown future at something that is bigger than they are, that they are just entering. And it's, and in, you know, in, you know, Chris, it's, you know, we'll we'll get there, but, uh, yeah, please no dive into it whenever you feel passionate. And I think that like, what's interesting with like the Chris and Rob plot line is that like, you know, they they have this ongoing due diligence. And it's weird because, I mean, I'm going to, you know, we'll spoil for people listening or whatever. But, like, yeah. by the time Rob get like, Rob gets killed way earlier than you think. Yeah. Every time I read it, like, I forget how fast he's dead. He's just murdered in the woods. And the even the way the killer plot line evolves. Yeah, You're okay, led to think one thing, and then then, like everything else in the book, it's not an easy answer. And the person the the, the a, a traditional horror story would have one thing. And I think like this story does a really the, the character of Dave. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've seen a lot of Daves and a lot of modern media because we're becoming more and more aware of the Daves of the world. But yes. I think most places I think Dave is maybe the closest the book has to judging a character. But even Dave, you you know, you look at the scene in the chicken restaurant and you kind of get why he's so fucked up. Mm-hmm. And even with the way when you see Chris's thoughts about Dave, you're just like, Dave is bad, but also like, you know, it's, it's not like you don't, you're not like, where did this come from? Why are you fucked up? Like, you're like, Oh, I get this. You come from a terrible background. You are, you have this weird persecution complex. You're wildly unhealthy in your relationships. Oh. And then you end up being like a weird murderer who like stalks a woman. Like, okay, this all makes sense. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, and that's what's so beautiful about this story is that it doesn't let you judge the characters because it explains why they are the way they are, which is super important because when usually like when I read a teen story, it's like, this is why they're perfect. This is why those guys in the corner are are not perfect they suck we're not going to focus on them we're going to focus on mr perfect here yeah that's why i love this story or like a lesser version would make the mutant kids in the woods be good and right. chris would be bad and it would be that kind of lame like who's the real monster yes. like thing that i fucking hate it's it's <laughs> i i enjoy clive barker i hate night breed because it is that kind of story of just like the who's the real monster and it's like okay cool i'm glad you flipped it like i like congratulations you can tell a a a reverse not that interesting set of characters like whereas like this thing like never you can read this and and hate everyone you can hate certain Mm -hmm. characters you can but i think like what's fun about it is it very much becomes a rorschach of you know even like like I think like as a guy or a girl and I think this is feels a little intentional to me sort of like when you took sex ed and mm-hmm. there's the girl story and the boy story of puberty mm-hmm. this book kind of has that Chris and Keith yeah. are kind of sex ed characters but in a real world but also horror story setting yeah yeah I could totally see that it's it I feel like there's just so many deeper metaphors to who these characters are and what they represent at one point I was like are they the seven deadly sins like I was trying to figure out what he was you know because I feel like I said like I just feel like everything is so much deeper than it actually is like Dave represents the guy who not only is his face fucked up from this mutation but like he actually had a really traumatic fucked up life and he cannot go back home yeah And also, like, Keith could have turned into Dave. They're both so fixated on Chris. Mm -hmm. And and the book is showing the two ways that as a teenage boy you can deal with that. And you can either be a kind of bummer wiener about it, but eventually, like, realize there's other things to life. Or you can be Dave and decide, like, this is the only way that this can go. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that if there's anything that this book does play with is, like, 
rigid rigidity never is rewarded in this book nobody who's not willing to change themselves ends up mm -hmm. in a good place but mm -hmm. everybody who is willing to like learn to change and evolve and almost grow up if you will uh <laughs> is able to move forward and people right. who can't grow up stay trapped and in this case usually that means that nothing good happens to you right and you're like here like reading and you just want to yell at the characters like you could do this it's so obvious but they're so caught up in their fears and and they, they're just blinded and they think that they're absolutely because they spend a lot of time together all of these mutated kids they just hang out with each other so they're all a bunch of big bummers unfortunately and i'm not judging them i mean of course you're going to be a big bummer when that's your life but like they only hang out with each other so they think that the world is just their world which is, is really awful and but like from an outsider's perspective and you're you just want to yell at them and be like, no, go home. Go tell your mom. It's going to be OK. Or no, go dump him. Rob sucks. Fuck that guy. <laughs> so here's the thing that I also picked up watching this uh, reading at this time mm -hmm. is uh, and it's funny because because I feel like we've most been hitting on the 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 Chris story, which is yes. interesting. I don't know. why. And, uh, well, but I also story. think but I also well, both stories are great. I yeah. think that. Chris is in a lot of ways of the two stories the 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 more traditional narrative story. It yeah. has rises and falls. It mm -hmm. has more dramatic action to it. Okay. For like this, Keith has always been a significant character for me because I spent large portions of my life as Keith. Mm -hmm. Uh, like like it it's fucked up sometimes when I read it because they hit on things there where. There's there I see so much of myself in that in both good and bad ways. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Like like there is a lot of the way he looks at the world, the way he looks at his friends, the way he constantly wishes he was somewhere else, yeah. the way life sort of starts beating him down and he just becomes this kind of like dissociated shell where I'm just like, mm -hmm. well, I can't <laughs> imagine what any of that is like. Uh, right. And and I think that. For me, like I always find the Chris and Rob story to be the more narrative one, but the Keith one just is an elaborate series of both, not just gut punches, but also uh, I think that one of the interesting things is like, you know, losing your virginity, which is a huge aspect of this book because mm -hmm. both characters, main characters lose their virginity in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Chris loses it to Rob. Mm -hmm. I believe so. Right. That's yeah. That's, yeah. I yeah. think so. In the graveyard. Like she he takes yeah. her V card there, I believe. I, I think so. They make it that way. They build it up like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so she is involved with like like where it's like okay this is the person that i've decided i want to be with and i'm gonna be with them and i've built this narrative to this because we haven't even brought up eliza yet who is oh, maybe one of wait. my favorite fictional characters of all time i have so many um yes. it's it's uh uh you know uh, uh that character fucked me up uh yeah. she, yes uh, uh i love her um, and mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's because like for very similar like pieces as Keith, where it is just this representation of, uh, again, to play into the whole adolescent thing, like she's older than him mm -hmm. and she has seen more of the world than him and she has experienced a much tougher life than him. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they connect mm -hmm. and they both have something about the other person that is attractive to them it's and it's what interesting the other person needs yeah. yeah and it's interesting because like rob and chris are attracted to each other because they're both good looking popular kids right right and and that is not the world keith lives in and even the place that he meets 
Chris or, I mean, Eliza. Uh, meets Eliza, mm-hmm. he is miserable. He's going yeah. to these scary older guys' house to buy weed with his shitty friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and he and his shitty friend go over there, and then he's not stoked on this situation. These guys are kind of weird. His friend's kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. And it is also that thing of like when you're young and you have friends, and then as you get older, you're like, oh, I think we were friends because we're like in the proximity of each other constantly right. more mm-hmm. than actually like sharing good times or anything like deeper than that. And yeah. you really. He, Burns does such a good job of like in those early things where they're partying. Also, it's so funny that the first 40 pages of this book could just be dazed and confused the graphic novel. Because <laughs> it's all just just going down to. The, and, and I imagine you had this because I feel like we had sort of similar setups where there were those places where if I go down on Friday night, half of my school is going to be drinking warm beer in this <laughs> field. Thinking they're cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I spent many a night at those things. And mm-hmm. and. So there is this immediate recognition of all those social dynamics there. And, and even, you know, I've, I've been to a, a sketchy drug dealer's house or two in my time. Oh. Uh, and, and so that again was a feeling. And, and especially at the time I first read it, that was happening mm-hmm. more regularly perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, hitting that and then watching him go to the kitchen and that first shot of her from behind. Oh my God. Where you first see the tail the tail but naked making a sandwich no but she's not she's wearing a shirt that's the funniest thing about it if you oh. remember she has a top on she's bottomless making that's a right, sandwich she in puts the on kitchen the blanket and she's like it's like a yeah. hula skirt you know yeah and, and, yeah and and uh you know the first time he sees her you know it's he walks in a room and there's a, a woman without pants on with mm-hmm. a tail making mm-hmm. a sandwich who's a little high on acid yeah and yeah. you don't know sometimes what your fantasy dream woman is going to be until you see it in something. And then you're just like, well, why is that it? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and I still have that every why time. I read, I'm like, why is this the thing? Because um, that's think- uh, for many years, my my short pitch for Black Hole was like, you should read it because you'll believe that you want to fuck a girl with a tail. <laughs> Well, because she's so convincing and she's like very, she's very much, because everybody else there is just kind of like, I don't know. She's like miserable. so part. Yes, miserable. But she's like the one, she's like the shining light of that group. He's like, oh, I want to talk to her because she sees light at the end of the tunnel. She like lives in a fucked up house with all these dudes who do not respect her. They make her clean and they treat her like shit. Um, she, but she still seduces Keith and is like, Hey, come in my room. But this part, I, I mean, I know she was high on acid, but it's also like, it was kind of, I thought it was kind of selfish of her to be like, Hey, come on in. Let's do it. Even though you can obviously contract a very terrible disease from me if we do do it. Um, mm, people but- can sense sometimes <laughs> that's not going to worry Keith, nor does no. it. Um, he doesn't care. Because, but she also, she says the second time he comes over or whatever, mm-hmm. Or I don't remember if it's the first time. I think it's actually that first time when they get to the room and she says, like, I know you saw it and you didn't run away. Like, you're into it, aren't you? And that's that's part of it is. And I think that that even has some nice symbolism to it, because, like, when Chris sees Rob's second mouth, she freaks out and she didn't know when 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 Rob's going to tell her. And then she says, I know, because she misunderstands what he's going to say. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, great. And then they do it. And then she sees the mouth and is kind of horrified and doubles down. Mm-hmm. And Keith is the exact opposite, where yeah. he knows that's the first thing he knows about her is that yeah. she has a tail and she has the bug. Right. But immediately she is sees in him that, like, it's not an issue. And I think right. that that is, like, kind of a weird 
relationshipy thing that mm-hmm. people don't talk about is like sometimes part of the reason you're compatible with someone is like something isn't a deal breaker. Yeah, because you're like, oh, I can be myself and you're not creeped out by it, which yeah. is exactly what happens here. Why do you think that he took these two very differing, but like the only thing that's really similar between them is that they're teens and they're, they have this they, the bug. I, I think that uh, I'm glad you asked that because I have a theory on this. Go, um, go, Kyle, go. <laughs> because I think when you read the book with both storylines, mm-hmm. uh, I think across Chris and Keith's storyline, you kind of cover a pretty wide swath of the teen experience. Okay. And yeah. also everybody's a little bit Keith sometimes and everybody's a little bit Chris sometimes. Sure. And, and so if it had just been one or the other, it's a lot easier to write off the story as having a, a bias or a tendency or, or a thing. And by putting both in and having this wide range of experiences, mm-hmm. the Rorschach test becomes massive because mm-hmm. you can put so much of yourself across all these different people and different parts. I think that black hole as a whole, all of the characters in it, all the teenage characters that is yeah. make up one teenage actual brain. Okay. Okay. Yes. I can see that. We're all a little Rob. We're all a little like we all want to like Eliza to me is like kind of how we see ourselves at times. Like the Mm -hmm. like she is our coping skills. You know, Rob is our ability to bullshit. Chris is sort of our judgment. Like Keith is sort of our insecurity. You know, Dave is our like destructive ego horniness. Like everybody has a little bit of something that if you put them all together, you know, even the kids in the woods, Keith's shitty friends, you know, all, you know, even the drug dealers to a certain extent and stuff like that. But I think it really plays mostly to the teens, which pulls Eliza out a little bit too, is collectively they are a teenage brain. Yeah. The many different facets of a teenage brain. And that is actually a beautiful theory because when you're a teenager, there are so many parts of you and you are just convinced by society that you have to be this one thing. And so this is like just a conglomerate of the many, many parts of you that you haven't even discovered yet. Like like you're saying, your sexuality, uh, parts of you, like, you know, diving into that, um, just being accepted by everybody else and being be wanting to be liked and all of these parts. So, yeah, I like Can that, I show actually. you, tell you a scene that broke my brain this time reading that before, I've always enjoyed, but like this time I was like, fuck, that is crazy how smart it is of a scene. What is it? Once Chris is living in the woods and Rob is dead, mm-hmm. uh, she talks about how she went back. I think this is in that last chapter she talks about going to marcy's yes and how she went to marcy's who's her best friend who's still at home this is she's run away to go live in the woods because she Mm -hmm. she can remove her own skin like Mm -hmm. that is that is her version of the bug Mm -hmm. uh which again symbolic as fuck uh that she's having to remove skin to change like a reptile uh Mm -hmm. also the fact that both female characters are like reptiles is a really interesting thing to me actually yeah because she's the lizard queen and chris sheds her skin but she's talking to marcy and marcy and her boyfriend have gotten into Bowie. And there's mm-hmm. that great scene where she's trying to show uh, Chris about Bowie. And mm-hmm. Chris is now a, a living in a tent with, who has been abandoned at best by, by her partner. Mm-hmm. She sheds her skin and only interacts with like mutant outcast teens. Yep. And yet when Marcy shows her and her boyfriend wearing lightning makeup and going to a concert, <laughs> she's still like, you're weird and gross and I'm yeah. judging this. And I feel like I love the subtext of this person who has destroyed their life with with their weirdness and their relationship and embracing all of that mm-hmm. sees another person and her prejudices from yeah. before this 
are are still so ingrained that when someone is showing her kindness the same way everybody in the book does she still refuses to grow or change or have a different point of view the entire time yeah and uh, fuck, i'm just gonna do my ending theory now since we're already in this and then we'll get back to other stuff because oh i want to talk go. about yeah, so yeah. many things i've got so much more even just a lot of stuff but in the end of the story <laughs> okay uh you know robin eliza hit the road and and Chris is alone and ultimately it ends with her just like laying in the ocean looking at the stars, which makes it feel like Rob has a happy ending and Chris or I mean, not Rob, that uh, that Keith has a happy ending and Chris doesn't. But if you think about it for more than than a second, Rob is on the run for basically a murder yeah. with a person who is dodging multiple abuse situations and is traumatized. And yes, they are bonded. And I don't doubt that they absolutely love each other. Like, mm-hmm. cause I know many people who have those kinds of relationships are like, Hey, we got together in bad times. And this is the only person I trust yeah. in the world. And so yeah. that's nice. But if you think about it, like their lives are ostensibly fucked. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they are on the run. They cannot go back to their families. Ever. Eliza doesn't have a family. Keith has destroyed any relationship he would have had with his family. His family was just going to assume he's dead. Mm -hmm. Whereas Chris, who seems totally abandoned Mm -hmm. and seems like her life is fucked and is staring up the ocean, lamenting her life, could walk back into her house. She even says it at any time and Mm -hmm. absolutely would be fine again. Like she'd Mm -hmm. be traumatized from what she's gone through. But she, even in that last moment saying that, you know, she could just lay out in the ocean and die right now and not care. Every second she is in the woods, she could go home. She is not in a bad spot. Her parents are never shitty to her. Like Mm -hmm. they ground her for doing shitty, irresponsible things, but never do anything that we see that is shitty. She comes from a loving home Mm -hmm. where the only reason she hates them is that she can't, they won't let her run away in the woods with the guy she just started dating, which is pretty reasonable. (laughs) It's, it's the Romeo and Juliet argument and that's what she's doing. But I think it's interesting that like in the end, you think Chris is lost and Keith is one because love. Mm -hmm. But once you realize like teenage love being a kind of fleeting thing. Yep. Keith is in so much more trouble than Chris is at the end of the book, but you don't realize that until you think about it as an adult. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I relate to Chris because I literally ran away from home when I was in high school to go be with a boy for a total of seven days. And it was awful. My mom was like, you know, you could just come back and I won't yeah. say anything. And yeah, I did not And then seven days later, I was like, I want to come back, but just, just don't say anything. Okay. And I went back and it was fine, you know? And that's why I was like saying, I scream, I'm screaming at Chris, like, just go home. Your mom's going to understand, honey. Like, it's going to be okay. And, and if you think about it, like, if there's a 13th chapter to it that's the chapter the chapter is chris going home all this stuff like and and yeah so going through all that i think that like there are a couple like for and and it's so funny because for me it's it's there's a handful the the keith chapters with eliza Mm -hmm. especially those first two the one where where they meet and hang out in the room and then the Mm -hmm. guy comes in and it kind of all ends and the fact that he like doesn't go talk to her again for a while yeah. is so something I have done and regretted a million times in my life. Like really? in, in relationships, just like running away. Cause it's like, Oh, this is like good. So I have to go. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. Right. I don't and, deserve or, this. or self-destruct it or something. Of course. And, and instead yeah. like stay fixated on this unhealthy thing. Cause like it, you almost forget how much he likes Chris. And yeah. then, and the other thing is like, I love that Keith, sort of stops hanging with his friends and instead once he is kind of dead inside mm-hmm. and and working the job starts going down 
to the fire and hanging with the mutant kids and bringing food and stuff. And he's doing that before Chris shows up. And it's such a heartbreaking thing to me. And again, I think because I relate to it too much is like he finds a good group of people. But then there's someone else in that group that he gets fixated on and it kind of destroys his relationship with those kids. And instead Mm -hmm. it becomes totally about Chris, who does not care about him at all. And it's one and and like literally in her head, she's like, he's doing all this stuff and he's being so nice and I can't do anything but hate him and feel bad for him. And but then it's also crazy because then Chris brings all the mutant kids to the house that he's house sitting at. Mm -hmm. And then they all become just as shitty as any of the other people he has. And I think that like that is very telling. And it's interesting to me that like it's only once he kind of goes, okay, like this is my life and I need to like do something about it. And like, you know, even after the first round of him running away, mm-hmm. you know, he comes back to Eliza and you have, you know, the lizard queen chapter, which again, I'm, I know I'm a weirdo, but it is maybe one of my favorite <laughs> written passages in anything ever. The fact that it is about a man losing his virginity to a woman with a tail and he actually pulls off part of her tail. And she says is, it's going to grow back. Don't worry. It grows back. Uh, uh, it, it, she finds her tail being pulled to be part of, whatever is 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 all uh, one of those things like it's so alien but if you think about it it's it it is as alien as any version of intimacy when you're a teenager is so like a, a, a woman's body is so mysterious to a teenage boy that she might as well have a tail yeah and and it becomes this kind of visual representation because he keeps going you know he 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 you know prematures and has to run to the bathroom at one point which again to me is like i hate the fact that i read this chapter just like this is the most erotic writing of all time just a lady on top (laughs) of you rolling a joint is as good as life gets um but um he goes to their gross bathroom in the house and it's full of porn mags and it's all these static shots that burns really amazingly does of like 70s porn style imagery Mm -hmm. and I literally in my take is always that the tail literally represents the thing that this person has that all these other women don't have. Don't have right. And in, in, in this case, it's a physical tail. But in real life, it's like, oh, the person you're intimate with that you care about and feel a certain way about has some untangible thing that all of the imagery of sexuality that you see in media and around you mm-hmm. doesn't have. And I think like you're a married person and I am mm-hmm. very much in love with the person who yeah. we are both friends with. Yeah. Uh, and when you meet people like that, there is that weird element of like, oh, this is, and I'm not saying that with every person you hook up with, but like the ones that you're like, this should stick around. It's because there is, they have a tail. Yeah. John has three legs, so I love him. For there that. you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and no, so, and I, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to agree with you. I, I love Eliza um, for that. Um, forgot what I was going to say. Totally lost my train of thought. Oh, um, I was going to say that there you are actually interpreting the book not different than i am but you obviously because you've read it well i'd also love to hear your thoughts on it because like that's super interesting to me no um well it was just there's parts of it that i didn't pick up on like i'll be honest i didn't pick up and because each character they look very similar that's the other funny thing to me is all like rob keith and chris have the exact same haircut (laughs) and that's where i got confused i thought that the first encounter was rob and eliza yeah i get that when rob lost his virginity and then later on i figure out that it's keith 
And so when they jump back and forth when Rob is still alive, uh, rest in peace, Rob, um, when they went back and forth between the timelines, I thought that was the same guy. So now that you're picking it apart that way, I'm like, oh, shit, I read a totally different story. I the thought the secret this... is the unibrow. You got to look for the yes. unibrow. OK, OK. It's... And I love because I, I had mean... the same thought the first time I read it. It's definitely a, a, a little confusing because of that. It's funny when you look at a lot of 70s stuff, it's definitely an ongoing thing. And I think yeah. like he I feel like at one point he's reading and going like, all right, I got to distinguish this somehow. And I thought that the mouth was going to be in more scenes than it is. And it's not. So, Keith, you're getting a unibrow. <laughs> you know what? Let me just color this in. That's an easy, like, little fix, right? Like, and then, like, unibrow. Chris is usually smoking. And that's how. So she's got a cigarette. Rob has a mouth. And, and Keith gets a unibrow. And that's how you tell them apart. <laughs> and Eliza has this, like, slick, like, long hair. And at one point she has pick, cute little pigtails. It's the cutest and... fucking thing I've ever seen. That that oh. sequence where they're in the desert and she's yes. sketching and she has her hair yes. and pigtails and she's sitting naked on a blanket with her tail wagging as she draws i'm just like again brain yeah we, you're we, like, I, this uh, is this I, I learned a thing i can't unlearn uh, <laughs> i love uh, that part where I, he was I like i think I'm... about that scene probably once a day <laughs> well he it's cute because he just he adores eliza for everything that she is even from the very beginning either either high or sober like they're he loves her but he also which was kind of confusing he loves Chris as well he's attracted to her he can't let go of his old life yet and I think Uh, like when he gives up on Chris and embraces Eliza his new life starts and to me it's like him leaving high school and and being a kid behind and entering a larger adult world mm -hmm. uh I um I wonder (laughs) I mean it's like you said like the 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 fact that the mutation part is would be seemingly the most shocking thing about this book it's not it's like all of these it's like the 10th thing that's it's the 10th craziest thing is the fact that there's a sexually transmitted mutant disease like if you take that away and still have the story the story then it's an adrian tomney book Uh, oh wait who's that i don't know he's uh he's another indie comic writer who writes very like slice of life stories about complicated characters he's probably my my second or third favorite comic writer and he's oh he's a writer artist like charles burns okay i'll I'll shoot you some stuff his way yeah yeah he's also great um, well, also, yeah, I love how Charles Burns like, you know what, we're going to give him a mutation. And the, like the fact that they weren't like, let's go to the hospital so they can help us figure out what the fuck to do like that. And but like, that would felt- never occur to a kid. Right. Exactly. And that's what I love about this, because when you're a kid, all the parents, you know, what they're doing is they're looking at you and like, you got to do this, this and that. And you're like, shut up. You want nothing to do with what your parents are saying. You want to figure out life on your own. So you keep a lot of secrets because anytime you say something to your parents, it's just so frustrating because you can't say what you actually want to say because they're going to tell you what you need to do. And so they in this one, they're like, I know I'm going to run away and live in the woods. And like Chris is like, I know my whole life. It's got to be in the woods. It's going to be happy and awesome. And but the fact is, like, they don't have that perspective of what how this is going to be in the future. So, like, she will never survive. And I I think some of it's interesting because, like, Keith is also the only character who gets a job. Yes. yes, And I think, like, the, the menialness of that. And and also all the stuff that happens while he's house sitting and everybody's a mess and he's just like dying inside. Yeah. I don't know about you, but when I started working, you know, <laughs> full time and working kind of shit jobs that don't pay and, and you are and, and you're tired all the time because mm-hmm. you're used to being a kid. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, the older I get, the more I look at that and go like, that is a weird, profound thing that Burns is commenting on that you just don't see 
talked about a ton as -hmm. a culture is like the American idealized cultures. You get a job and then everything's great. And it's not like you get a shitty job and then you're fucking miserable, which is sort of how early having a job has. And it's funny because like I feel like that was true in the 70s. And in the last 10 years, economically, we've been in sort of a similar situation as far as like you kind of take the jobs you can get. And the idea of like, I'm going to work hard and get the promotion. It's going to work out like Mm -hmm. that didn't occur to me for I'm going to say still, uh, but, uh, uh, and, and I have a very nice job now and I'm very happy, but, and I'm still just like, but nah, man, it's all, it could go any second. I'll be back to BevMo or whatever. Like one of the many jobs I had. Uh, and so I think that it almost in a weird way, like Chris runs away from real life and Mm -hmm. Keith gets beaten down with real life. And both of them end up in the same unhappy place where you're both just kind of like disassociated and dead. Mm-hmm. And and they both make a choice and, and, and neither is a great choice because they both ultimately run away, but in opposite directions. And the difference yeah. is like Keith runs away to the future and Chris is like refusing to move. Right. right. Literally and symbolically. She yeah, she just sits in the woods and waits for her already murdered, unknown murdered yeah. uh, boyfriend for days, and is like she takes butts uh, from uh, from smokes that she's had, and she rolls them up to make another one, and then she figures out that she needs food and and a shower, and she's like, oh, I should probably like she would have never left that tent if Rob was still there. They would have been there forever and ever, and she would have forgot what the outside world was even like. But that is to, of her own doing and of her own demise. It's nobody's fault. Oh. Oh, and the story literally ends with her just floating in stasis. Right. Ooh, that's symbolic, too. She's just, yes, yes, exactly. Like, she's just at the will of the waves and is, like, in some ways, I feel like it's trying to imply that she might die out there. But it's also, like, is it or is she just continuing to be you know, unable to change like that, that she could swim back. You know, there's that moment before she goes out swimming where the lady offers her food and water and everything she needs. And all she has to do is like, let herself change and Mm -hmm. accept something. But if she does that, it, it means everything she did was wrong and she's too proud to Mm -hmm. like admit that. And it's such a tragic thing. I will say this. This is where I'm going to go real literary. I made sure to write this down. (laughs) Uh, The ending of this book very, very much reminds me of a book called The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers. Are you familiar with this book? It's a real high school staple. It's where I read it. I read it in AP English in 12th grade. Uh, And it is a book that is very similar. It's not supernatural, but it is about four characters living in like, I believe it's the... If it's not the depression, then it's like the mid early 50s or something like that. And it's basically like an, a, an old guy, a, a young girl and an alcoholic guy. And the alcoholic's okay. like a, a socialism advocate who like is trying to get in this factory town, trying to get people to unionize. But he's also like a violent alcoholic. So he's always undercutting his message with his like actions. And okay. this girl's character is she starts off very charmed and happy as a kid and then slowly descends into like the factory work life and, Mm. and kind of becomes a harder person. And the old guy again, I think he dies or something like that. It's been a long time since I read it, but like the ending of that book, no one is happy, but everybody is doing their thing. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, he, he moves on to, cause he refuses to accept that like his, methods are not going to help his cause and learns nothing it ends with the lady just like now what she does she gets off work and she just gets drunk 
and mm. just just this is she spends every night in this bar being mad about you know abstracts and and everybody kind of d- refuses to learn so they stay the same and i think that like this book has an interesting similarity where like the that nobody ends up in a in a situation that is actually great even it but you know a lot of it becomes the both the outlook and also mm-hmm. just like what are you looking for out of what you want like Keith's life is fucked but ultimately all he ever wanted was what he now has and it right. puts him at a crossroads to make a choice of like is this the life I'm going to lead or have I behaved too rashly? We'll never know. And Chris is the same life. Does she go home? Does she stick to this? We'll never know. And I think I really like endings like that where it forces you to have to decide. And I know like, I think the American audience does not enjoy that because like, they don't want to have to walk out and keep thinking about it. You know, it's like every time a movie, like I think about it with us because I think like Mm -hmm. one of the reasons I like the movie us is that it's so ambiguous and you can put whatever you want unless you are a blogger on a shitty website. That's like, here's what it really meant. I'm like, no, it's not like you're missing the point of art as a concept. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And, and that was just such a funny thing. Cause like, I, I, I really enjoy the fact that like Jordan Peele took you know that's that's such a like i love the podcast blank check because of that term like it's such a blank check movie you you Mm -hmm. uh, you know get out is such a hit and wins an oscar like you can do anything you want and a lot of people like cool then i'm gonna make nine star wars movies and instead he was like (laughs) i'm gonna make a movie that otherwise is so commercially non-viable that no one but me could ever get a story like this made and i'm gonna make it intentionally difficult to parse out because it's not about that you know, it's about the visceral experience of what it is and, and for you to interpret what you want out of it. And there is definitely things it's saying, but you have to make your own conclusions about what it's saying. And the things you're getting out of it are not what other people are getting out of it because that's the point is that it is a mirror. It is a piece mm-hmm. of art that is forcing you to have to look at yourself. And I think like a lot of American culture does not enjoy that at all, where it's like, mm-hmm. get this out of here. Put a yeah. fucking ripped no. 22-year-old in front of my face because that's what I want to yes. see instead of me. <laughs> Happily ever after. Come on. Like, make, uh... make it happen. I know. And that's the thing that you're saying, too, that they, they have like um, they have to go into these jobs. And I think that also, well, Keith does anyway. I think that also because we in America, in America, you have to I know really I sound like a real dipshit saying that kind of stuff. So no, just listener know that I know what a fucking asshole it sound like when I say <laughs> the American audience. <laughs> the American audience. Uh, I am they... actually holding opera glasses. Tess has not pointed that out. <laughs> oh, sorry. I forget it is an auditorial entertainment. <laughs> they can't. They can't uh, see me like winking with my monocle. Yes, <laughs> with your with your pipe. Yeah, uh, my fucking no, yeah. NPR bag full of New Yorkers. Uh, <laughs> and the monocle. I don't. I don't have those, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm wearing I shorts and a Husker Do shirt. Yeah, a bunch of band posters behind you. Uh, no, it's it's funny that you say that because the audience, uh, the American audience, they really, you know, I agree with you. They want the wrap up. They want. They deserve. They think that they deserve to know yes. what happens at the end. But if anything, at the end, because there is no conclusion and we don't know what happens next, we are really put into the seat of these teenagers. We literally become them at the end, where yeah. we have no idea what the future is yeah absolutely and i think that that is a, a an intentional thing and a thing that that i for me is is a really compelling thing and mm-hmm. and is a fun fun way to tell a story because it's sort of you know I, I for me i always feel a little more engaged when that's done well when it's done shittily it's bad but that's true of literally everything uh because mm-hmm. i feel like when people are like oh it doesn't work i'm like yeah but also many things don't work so yeah. let's not <laughs> fucking start straw manning this bad boy uh yeah the the 
the other thing is like it, it's it it moves over a period of time and mm-hmm. with exception the ending there's not a lot of jumping back except for like when characters are recounting parts of stuff in journals or whatever but like it it very much you f- and I think this is part of what's interesting about the length is that like this could be a much shorter comic yep. but oh, yeah. it would be less emotionally satisfying yes I and yes. and here's a great example using another horror comic Go I love the concept of Stephen Niles 30 days of night have okay. you is that one that's been on your list for no. the 30 days mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. 31 days it's it's mm-hmm. a story it's set in Alaska and it's that you know in Alaska there are chunks of time where it's dark for a month you know, and then it's light for a month. And it's interesting because okay. the movie Insomnia deals with when it's uh, uh, light for a month, what happens. And then the comic, every, uh, 30 Days a Night, is the opposite. So I love that people have found a way to make both scenarios uh, <laughs> frightening and terrible. Yeah. Uh, but in, in 30 Days a Night, uh, vampires show up. Because oh, if it's dark for 30 days, you can just kill an entire town and yeah, eat all of them. Yeah, that's where I'd go if I was a and, vampire. And it's, you know, the sheriff and her ex-husband trying to keep a city safe as uh, vampires kill everybody. It's fucking great. My problem with it is it is three issues long. And I have always found it unsatisfying because you never get to spend enough time with the characters, with the scenario, with everything before they have to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. And I've always wished that like not they've done sequels and shit. But for me, it's like the first story is such a perfect thing that like I've always wished Stephen Niles would go back and put like five more chapters in or even like one more issue. Because like to me, the journey in art is the most exciting part, like the going through the story, like the best mm-hmm. part for me of most books is the fucking middle. That's why I never understand people's obsession with the ends of things, because who gives mm-hmm. a fuck? By that point, you're done. It's in the yeah. trash can. Like, yeah, the middle is where you're having that good relationship with that book or that movie mm-hmm. or even that show. I always I make the joke that Battlestar Galactica, the reboot is such a great example of that. Where like I, I have a stand up bit that I don't do because it's entirely too niche but about uh, Firefly versus Battlestar Galactica because Firefly is a great show, but it's also like people who are like, I will never rest until Firefly is back. I'm like, Firefly is a girl you made out with a bunch of times on vacation one (laughs) summer. Like she's always going to be a thing in your brain because it was great because Mm -hmm. you were both 16 and horny and on vacation. So Mm -hmm. of course the second base you got to is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you at that point. Battlestar, that is Firefly. Firefly yeah. is an amazing I love Firefly. fling. Battlestar Galactica is a four-year-long relationship you had with someone where, like, by the third year, you fucking hate this person. <laughs> but also, you remember how good it was, and you know how good it can be. And then it does something that makes you fall in love with it all over again. And you have mm-hmm. these incredible highs and incredible lows, and it's there when you need it, and you're there when it needs you. <laughs> and then it ends, and it's over. And, it's, and you feel weird about it being over, but it did change you as a person and develop your ability to have relationships with things, which is how, like, relationships work mm-hmm. and so I've always felt like that's like a, my weird couch theory is like Firefly is somebody who can't get over their summer fling when they were 16 and Battlestar Galactica is that weird relationship you were in for like four years that like <laughs> tore you apart but also like made you a different person than you were before <laughs> and I think like this book uses time in that way where yeah. because it's paced out because it reads very fast you know you can read it this does. book in a day despite being 500 pages mm-hmm. and I think like part of that is like first of all it's like Charles Burns art every panel in this fucking book is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen it really is yeah uh, and then on top of that like 
you spend so many mundane moments with people and he focuses on so much small stuff that like you're living with these people. They are, they are people you have a relationship with in a way that like a lot of stuff, especially horror doesn't always think to do. That's true. That's true. We're really like, we're in and out real quick. It's kind of like when a TV series ends, that's why people are so, they get so sad. Cause like if it's, especially if it's not the ending that they want, but they get really attached to those characters because they have all that time. And yeah. The American audience, they just, I guess they just kind of want that real, like, they want to get in and get out. But, like, the emotion and the amazing thing about film is that you can sit and and just brew with a character and just hang out with them. And that is when you really start to go, oh, I understand who you are. Oh, Tarantino I understand has that. this concept of the hangout film, which I'm way um, into because I've learned that, like, it's weird when you learn a, a favorite genre of yours's name. And he <laughs> cites like the original version of it being the movie Rio Bravo, which is a Western from mm-hmm. the 50s that Howard Hawks made. Um, but it also is things like Reservoir Dogs or mm-hmm. uh, uh, fucking the Before series from from Link. Link, Link, Link Ladder is like the king of it. And he's my favorite director. So I think that's part of why I like it so much. Uh, but it's like it's a movie where like the story doesn't matter. What matters is you're hanging out with a bunch of people that you want to hang out with. And you're having mm-hmm. a good time just being with people that you think are interesting and fun. And like, so the plot stops mattering so much because yeah, yeah, we got to get to that. But like, tell me more, you know, hey, McConaughey, tell me some more fucking <laughs> fucked up stuff, you know, some more fun sayings or like, you know, yeah. m- you know, Mr. Pink, talk to me about why you don't tip. Like there's just all those weird, um, you know, elements like that. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I think Kelly Reichert does really good with that, too. Her movies tend to have like there's a plot like the movie River of Grass, which is a beautiful movie people should see. is about a couple who think they murdered someone. So they go on the run. But the person didn't die and no one's looking for them. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. And, and the two main characters are, are kind of dumb. But also, like, you're just like, oh, my God, this is so like I, I need to know. I need to hang with these people. I need yeah. to know what's going to happen. And I think that like comics are such a great venue for that and Mm -hmm. so you know the hernandez brothers with love and rockets so much of their stuff like you spend 30 years with like you know hoppy and all the the punk rock girls there or all the stuff in palomar and like the plot lines don't matter that much you know the only love and rockets plot line that people ever talked about is like the death of speed ortiz because it's the most plotted story they ever did Mm -hmm. but at the same time like it's maybe the greatest american comic ever made because it's just a thing that has allowed you to live in this incredible world with some of the best art ever like you know sitting you know in there and and the fact that like you know maggie and you see maggie and like they do such great things like the fact that like characters in love and rockets like gain weight and lose weight as they're like stressed or in different parts of their life and you know change sexuality sometimes they're gay Um, sometimes they're not like you know mm because the way people are in life and i think that like burns is part of that great legacy of something that that, you know and i and i'm using indie comics i'm a pretentious fuck boy but like (laughs) i love x-men too and chris claremont's x-men really you you came on in september to do x-men i did um was that what i did i couldn't remember what i was doing uh, oh yes that one's still coming up uh i was thinking no. mr miracle and mr miracle is also kind of a hangout book like you spend yes. so much time in that case it's you're hanging out with a married couple mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and you know in the x-men's case like they're a big family and it's a family mm-hmm. book where like problems happen but like you don't you know it's the difference for me that's always been between the x-men and the avengers mm-hmm. the avengers a bunch of people at work mm-hmm. the avengers are people who are saving the day because they have a fucking parking space and a paycheck you know and 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 they have a cool life but they have a cool life and a cool job whereas like the x-men live at a house and and hang out like like 
like Nightcrawler is mad when Beast eats his cereal, but I, they also <laughs> save the world. But the saving yeah. the world is like a secondary bonus to the fact that like they are a patchwork family of misfits. Yeah. And that is not a thing you see in most superhero teams. And I think that like the superhero teams that I've always really connected with stuff like X-Men or Teen Titans, you know, and things like that is because it has that element of we're not here because we're all Earth's mightiest heroes. We're here because we're all fucked up. But also we got to stop Magneto. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but even Magneto's like our friend and you don't know him. Like, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. And he stole some nuclear warheads. But like, he's a good guy. He's just he's, like, in a dark place. He like, means well. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that there's that is a type of storytelling that is part of what makes comics really cool is that like mm-hmm. comics totally if they want to are are that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. And yes, beautifully said. Um, I yeah, I like how we how we ha- the hangout the hangout genre. Yeah. I like those a lot more. I'm trying to think of something else where I hung out with a character I have before. A lot of like the I feel some of the older films have it because they weren't quite sure how to portray a story or how quick they wanted to go because they came from theater where you did hang out with characters and oh monologues. yeah and yeah and, and theater's got a little bit of that. i'm gonna throw out one the half-blood prince very specifically from harry potter Re- you know what that was a slow one and is that why you're saying that? well i don't even think slow it's they're all hanging out it's not they're, okay, the, okay. The, the immediacy of the issue you know when you i just did all eight movies uh because hbo max the thing so it's fresh on your brain uh, so it's fresh on my brain but like when you look at Order of the Phoenix, they got a problem. And the mm-hmm. whole thing is focused on that problem. That lady has got to get out of our school. Uh, whereas, like, Half-Blood Prince, he's, like, got... The plot is, he's got a fun book. And, <laughs> and it's and there's something going on with that fun book, but also everybody be making out. And <laughs> yeah. it makes sense that it's it's the, it's the second to last one, right? It's that mm-hmm. and then Deathly Hallows. The fifth, and it's, like... One. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's either la- second to last oh, or third to last. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it's the and, sixth one. I think and, right. and what's funny is, like, at that point, they're all 16 or 17, which is, like, the prime American graffiti days infused black hole age to be hanging oh, yeah. out. Because think about when you were a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like most teenagers on some level hang out whether it's yes. a couple of friends in a basement whether it's a big kegger whether it's like you and one other friend watching movies on friday night everybody's got some version of that you know mm-hmm. and and you know that is when you're the best hanging out has happened is that age and i love that she was like look this last book's gonna be a shit show and everyone's gonna die yeah. let's have like one kind of fun <laughs> horny book that sort of has a problem and then in yeah. like the last I don't know, third, we'll get super real. But for the first chunk, what if we just like hung out for a while, guys? (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. I never thought of it like that. I love Harry Potter. But yeah, that one, I think I skip over that one because I'm like, okay, okay. That's my favorite one. Is your favorite one? Because they're hanging out. Like, oh my God, I might have to watch that one today just to to see. And I'm going to be like, yep, everybody's making out. Yep. (laughs) it's 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 a weird thing like it's a it's a fun fun angle and and so yeah so it's it's uh and and i love the way people are able to kind of transcend it in different genres like that Mm -hmm. you know the first one was a hangout story ever was a western like this is ostensibly a horror story harry potter's like a epic fantasy and all of them are ostensibly maybe my favorite version of narrative and characterization which is like you know luke skywalker is great like nothing against the guy he's a farm boy he blew up the death star he's a jedi he grew a fun beard uh he played the joker uh and and all that's a lot of fun but like i don't really want to hang out with luke like he seems kind of fucking lame like i don't like maybe the only star wars character i'd like to hang with is chewy like even even han seems like kind of a fucking lame hang like he's cool but like he's gonna shoot down a lot of your ideas and always sigh heavy when you're doing something he doesn't want to do whereas like chewy seems like the only good hang 
and do whatever you want to do. Yeah, Let's and so like it. Star Wars is never going to be like a hang story. You want to see these characters go on adventures, mm-hmm. but you don't really want to hang with them. It's why I think something like Into the Spider Verse worked so well. Is like Spider Man is the opposite. You want to hang right. with Spider. Peter yeah. is kind of fun, and you kind of get Peter. Yeah. And so like, and I think like the two, all the Sony Spider Man movies, like both the the home movies and Spider Verse, are all a thing of like, you know what's fun is just like hang out with your friends. Yeah. Remember school <laughs> trips? Those are cool. Like. <laughs> Like, yeah, 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 you had to stop Mysterio. But also, like, remember how you had to have, like, your backpack and a buddy? Like, (laughs) and all those things are weighted kind of the same. Like, stopping that bridge from being destroyed and also, like, hey, Mary Jane, how you doing? Like, are the same level of importance. And I think that that's fun because, like, it's just a different way to look at life. And, you know, Mm -hmm. in some ways, like, I'm so sorry, Tess, about what I'm going to say. There's almost, like, a Taoist element to it where, like you just take what life is giving you and you live right. it like that is the most important thing. You live, know, laugh, love, right, Kyle? Yeah. I mean, it, that's <laughs> at least what it says on all the wood carvings in my kitchen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but back to black hole, like, yeah. do you have like a piece of artwork that jumped out at you? Any, I actually want to discuss another element of it. Oh, which yes, was please. The dream element. Yes. So which these is dreams... prominent through all of his work. Through, oh, okay, because we start off basically in a dream and we kind of end up in, in the dream. And they're very, like, very vivid dreams. There's, like, there's snakes. snakes. with people's heads. And yeah, snakes. Yeah, it's pussy like feet with be- notes inside. Literally. And they unravel it and you still don't know what's happening. <clears throat> and But it's like, is this part of the mutation thing? Is this part of their growth? It's like, is this part of their internal work that they have to do? Like, it, it played as another character, if anything, because it, like opened up their minds to things and they were also tripping a lot so was that part of the trip like it's just kind of all together the, it's like the, the shot of keith walking down the street when he's having the bad trip on acid before he goes into the woods and that whole oh. store is like bending towards him yes yeah and then there's just this conglomerate and he realizes like i think was this the part where he realizes dave is really fucked up when he realizes oh when he's looking at him laughing at the tv yeah, yeah. creepy and like there's yeah there's unspoken characters there's the dreams there's the drugs the trips um it's there's so many elements in this freaking soup of probably as you said before the teenage brain is just this entire you know door stopper here um i i freaking loved it it's it's deep it's dark. It's absolutely 100% a horror. Um, like, I'm just flipping to pages here. I'm just like, every one of these is, like, weird yes. and crazy. Like, the, the, the yeah. chapter breaks. Like, the, what were the covers initially is oh a really gosh. neat thing. Yeah. It, just the fact that it's in black and white. There's no gray. It's literally black and white. And he does it in such a way that you know exactly what's going on, but he does it in a way where you don't need anything else. You know? You don't need any other colors. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's interesting. Oh, because I'll I'll say this like like so if you dug this and if your mm-hmm. your listeners who read this dug this, um, yeah. his other early stuff is great. It's also sort of hard to find. Like not mm-hmm. a, a ton of it hasn't been aggressively reprinted. So I mean okay. you can chase it, but like like I'm still having trouble just finding some of the prices on some of these books. But I will get them all. Uh, <laughs> But the book that came out after this is it's funny because like Black Hole was so ambitious that you're just like, how is he going to do anything after Black oh Hole? God, like because it's it's, it, it's wild. It, you know, it's 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 Sergeant Pepper. You're like, hey, Beatles, what you going to do now? And they're like, fuck yeah. you. Why do we have to do a follow up? <laughs> uh, you know, you're still alive. I, I'm a, I, like, I'm not a big Beatles fan, but I'm fascinated by the photos that were taken during the Let It Be sessions as Ooh. like because it's like four very creative people 
who are bogged down by being the most successful you can be and just fucking hate each other but yeah. have to work together to try to top themselves because like just the imagery of like the way they're looking at each other in any of those photos them in the studio working on let it be is just like oh these are four people who hate each other and they're must miserable. complete this project or they will die yes, uh, <laughs> yes. oh my god yeah, so, so, so knowing that like he has a bar head pretty high he ends up putting out three books that I have the collected version of now. And the collected mm -hmm. version is called Last Looks. But when okay. they originally released, it was a trilogy of books. The first one was called X'd Out. The second one's called The Hive. And the third one's called Sugar Skull. And now they're mm -hmm. all called Last Looks as a collection. You can either find each all, all three out there or the collection. Okay. It is his first work that is in full color ever. And he has been working since like 1980 or maybe like the late 70s. And this is Whoa. like the first time he's had like a full color piece that and was like a whole it? book. Oh, yeah. He, he wrote and drew all of it. Okay. Oh, other fun thing before I dive into this real quick. Please. Uh, another wacky thing. Do you remember Liquid Television on MTV? No. Liquid no. Television was this dope-ass thing on MTV. It's where, uh, I believe it's where Beavis and Butt had originally come out from. It's where Aeon Flux comes from. Okay. It was, they had, like, an experimental wing of, like, animation stuff that they were doing in the early 90s. Like, early MTV in the 90s is really neat. There's a lot of, like, kind of cool shit going on. It's, yeah. like, like them and Nickelodeon. Like, a lot of, I think, why I'm fucked up and have weird taste is because of early Nickelodeon MTV aesthetics. And, really? Yeah. And Liquid <laughs> Television came out of the Spike and Mike Sick Animation Festival, which was an experimental underground animation festival that mm -hmm. then a bunch of those people, make, Mike Judge comes out of that. Uh, and, and those things all then go MTV picks up and, and Nickelodeon buy a bunch of that stuff. All the weird interstitials you watched as a kid on Nick were done mm -hmm. by weird stone underground cartoon people. Hell yeah. Uh, it's, it, it makes a bunch of sense. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. All of my that things That actually make does more make sense. sense. It was pretty freaking weird. That was no Disney. Oh, it's I the mean. best. That's <laughs> why I love it. And, and Charles Burns, ironically, had a live action adaptation of one of his things. Liquid Television had a bunch of shorts that they would do. They did mm -hmm. Sam Keith's The Max had an animated series. A lot of people remember that. A lot of people watched that. And that, that was a very famous you know indie book from Image in the early 90s. Okay. Uh, then I know, oh, fuck, somebody else had something crazy. Oh, there was a book called The Head or a show called The Head that had a bunch of you know crazy stuff and had that vibe. And then one of them was Dog Boy, which was a character that he had had in Raw Magazine and a bunch of other things. And they did a live action version of Dog Boy. That's like they're not great, but they are very interesting because okay. his stuff is so that dream tone that plays through all of his stuff makes his stuff kind of hard to put into film because mm -hmm. it moves at a weird pace and it okay. looks strange and the way people talk reads normal but when they say it out loud it's like hearing something from a dream in real life you're like that doesn't make no sense yeah and so he has these dog boy shorts that are also out there online that are worth looking at i was reading he has two really good interviews in the comics journal that are like almost 20 years apart there's one from like 92 and one from like 2015 or something like that and uh, they're both great, but he talks about it in one of those interviews about how he's like, those were cool, but like, they're not really my thing. Like they were, they, they took my scripts and then they went to Europe and threw my scripts away and made just like a weird show with characters named after my things. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're neat. They, a lot of like plastic hair people, they look kind of like a Primus music video. Uh, and so, but the book he puts out post black hole is, is this last looks and last looks is in color and it is half told in real life about this kind of pretentious guy who wants to be a punk rock performance artist and has this girlfriend he treats like shit and is kind of selfish and then he also has uh 
a dream world he goes into that's that is uh seemingly a coma he is in Ooh. and at the, so he does this a lot this dream yeah world oh stuff. all his stuff is dream world stuff and the world that he builds in x'd out slash last looks or whatever is based on the adventures of tintin okay and so there's okay. so it is but it's what if tintin was a story but the main character is uh the but the world that he's in instead of being a fun adventure through you know the world in in france or whatever it is a nightmare wasteland full of mutants and monsters and everyone hates him and and his girlfriend is there but instead she is like uh his girlfriend up top and then her lower half is a queen bees like style like giant sweaty (laughs) egg sack he has a style, oh, mutants and... Oh, yeah. And and it's funny because he reading interviews, getting ready for this, like, in his mind, it's all kind of a sense of humor because it comes out okay. of Mad Magazine and Little Nemo and all these vintage comic things because that's what he read when he was a kid. Like, he's hugely okay. influenced by Mad, hugely influenced by, by sort of the surrealism of, like, Euro comics and stuff. But wow. it is one of the most grounded domestic stories of like a selfish person having to like deal with how their behavior affects other people. And it's also full of some of the craziest, darkest, weirdest imagery I have ever seen. Like if you have issues with like weird larva and tiny things with faces calling you a fucking idiot, (laughs) like maybe not a read, but like I, I adore it. Um, And so, so again, he's, he's always kind of like, he's, he, and that's what it's so fun to me is like, he wrote black hole and goddamn last looks and dog boy. And then Altoids is like, do whatever you want. (laughs) And MTV is like, look, you know, put some of your shit on here. Like, like do like, and I love like, there's like a diamonds company out of France that had him do like ads for a watch. Like, and I just love that. Like they see black hole and they see like, you know, uh, a guy, you know, just a, a naked guy, you know, getting eaten by a sea dragon. And they're just like, this guy needs to help us sell goddamn mints. Like, <laughs> this is the missing element. This is what nobody else has. And, and I think it, it just inspires me because it shows you can be, you know, because it's not like the work I make is like particularly weird, but like I try to go to my own way with my stuff. I've never been the guy who's like, you know, I was I, I was never the guy who's like, well, Twitter's selling real good. I got to have hot takes on Twitter and that'll get me a job at Colbert. Like, that's just <laughs> never been my agenda. Mine, you know, went, you don't even you're not even on social. Well, you are, I you're am. Not. Well, look, the 40 tweets that I have ever tweeted that were content that wasn't <laughs> shows or me talking to people who listen to my work uh, were even then it was dumb because it was things like the, the one I always think of is salad is dinner's opening band. And the kitchen is where dinner live or sandwiches live like stupid bullshit like that. Like, and, and I was like, this is not gonna, I'm not going to get that parks and rec jog based on these tweets. And so it was like, well, I'll just tell my long form stories and release comedy albums, I guess. And so it's a much more expensive and not as successful plan, but Hey, we're living it. But like I, (laughs) Charles Burns has been one of those guys I've always looked at because he makes weird shit, Mm -hmm. but is still able to work. And whatever yes. that code is, I'm just like, I would like that contract, please, where I do not have to modify my personal work at all, yes. but can still be seen as like a viable commercial artist. Because, I, I, again, I don't know what weird deal with Satan he pulled off, but it is the coolest <laughs> thing in the world, like just, that he gets to be this subversive artist who's, you know, and it's not like he's like, I'm blowing your mind, man. I'm pushing it to the edge. Like he is. Yeah. There's a gentleness to the way he pushes things yep. that I think makes it somehow even more unsettling. The fact that it's so gentle with you and and it plays into and I'm sorry, I'm just in full ramble mode, Tess. Please. Uh, 
I the other thing I, I think is fun about it is I, I you know, have started really kind of taking writing horror fiction serious. And I've been reading like I've always read horror fiction, but really getting in the nitty gritty and just trying to find any writer I can who I think is interesting. Because what I found yeah. is a lot aren't because, again, that horror self-congratulation of just like we put a spooky castle and a bunch of other like archetypical yeah. things. We didn't make any changes. Doesn't that excite you? Because we didn't rock yeah. this boat. Like <laughs> or when they do, it's like like either like we made something that is totally incomprehensible with no emotional connection at all or we made something like so ugly and violent that it's pushing thing now that's not me making a judgment on any of those things i love all of it uh and, <laughs> but I, but all. i but i get fascinated because i often read you know when people try to like write about like highfalutin horror the review is always the same where it's like it's not one of those blood and guts gross out fest it's got characters and i'm like Yo, Black Hole has some of the like weirdest, grossest shit I've ever seen, and also some yeah. of the most well-drawn characters. So why don't you go back to your board and stop being so like sanctimonious about not having violence in your horror? Because like it's the same. It's a thing I say about a lot of horror movies when they're just like, it's so good it didn't have to have violence. I'm like, yeah, but if your movie sucks, you don't even have the out of at least having a couple of good kills. And right. I've seen boring horror movies that have one or two cool scenes, and you're just like, well, that made the thing okay. And some other ones are like, we didn't need that. I'm like, yeah, but you're not as good as you think you are. So now you just made a boring, shitty thing. <laughs> and I think, like, Black Hole shows that you can thread the needle and have both. Because, like, it's mm -hmm. not a particularly violent book for the most part. There's right, body no. disturbing stuff, but it's much more about your actual body being gross and weird. Mm -hmm. But then when it does, like when Rob gets killed, it's super disturbing because even though you think you've seen some shit up to that point in the book, he is, you realize you haven't really seen violence violence. The only real violence up to that point that you've seen is when Chris gets the glass in her foot. Mm -hmm. you know and that's, that's upsetting but it's not it's it's something you'd see as a person and then mm -hmm. when rob takes that first thing and it fucking breaks his nose and fucks up the front of his face when the guy beats him to death with a pole or when yeah. that guy gets shot in the fucking head later on yes. it's always or the big murders at the house then when things go super bad mm -hmm. like it, it's wild because he utilizes the violence in such a way that like he doesn't shy away from it when it happens but he also doesn't a fetishize it or b rely on it to be shocking on its own the reason that those scenes are shocking like you know to me the most upsetting moment in the entire book is when eliza mm -hmm. talks about her sexual assault that makes her have to get out of the house Ugh, and like was, yeah you know i have i have had a handful of friends confide things like that to me before and it's such mm -hmm. a fucking brutal and and you know, it's a it's a hard thing, you know, and and in a book full of crazy imagery and some like shocking violence by that point in the story at the same time. You you see his empathy and his priorities in his storytelling and where he's willing to be dark or, or flippant or 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 on the other side, like, you know, compassionate when you see that sequence, because it never feels salacious. It mm -hmm. you know, she she is a you know by design both a well fleshed out character who is also by purpose objectified by keith in the story you know that yeah. is to me absolutely part of it i get it because again it affected me in a big bad way uh <laughs> at the same time though in that moment none of that happens and it's part of i think what is so upsetting and why beyond the fact that you're a person with emotions who does not want things like that to happen to people like yeah it is fucked because this is a person who has been strong and and 
empowered and mm-hmm. just seeing the the hint of the awfulness that happened there and then having her articulate the rest without visually seeing it in a book that is so all about visualizing things people say mm-hmm. i find that to be so haunting you know yeah. but but also i think does you know do an interesting thing as far as like the dynamic of their relationship because i think you do spend a lot of the book going what does she see in Keith? Like, why is Keith a thing yeah. that she's interested in? And when you slowly realize, I'm like, oh, it's because Keith's not a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And like, Keith is not an aggressive, overly confident person, which is all the reasons that Chris hates him. And Eliza sees this as like, this is a person who at the very least is kind and, and, you know, is a, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a good listener sounds like the understatement of the millennium, uh, but like <laughs> the, he has an energy that is different than, you know, as far as you can tell in the book, any other man she's ever been around. And mm-hmm. I feel like both of us probably have no many a couple where like that is kind of the dynamic is people who have had a tough run, you know, and, and you know, I don't want to say a bad life because that's a terrible value judgment. Like, but like, you know, have had dark times. And by right. the time you find a partner, you know, a lot of times that partner has things that like, when you look at it, you're like, I don't get why you two. And you don't know that it's like, Oh, this person has this fucked up thing. And this person has this fucked up thing. And they answer Mm -hmm. each other's, you know, things, you know, Mm -hmm. puzzle pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it, it does a great job of articulating that without fetishizing that aspect of their relationship or even like co-signing it. Like it's, you get why they're that way. It doesn't say, and these kids are going to be great forever. Like they say they love each other no matter what in that moment in the motel. But at the same time, like how many persons have you said, I love you forever, no matter what. I I was like, Oh, I've been there. There's a lot of people that I've promised that I'd love forever that I do not. anymore. (laughs) Uh, And, and I think that when, if you read that scene as a teenager, you know, kind of like I was at the time, you're like, oh man, those kids are going to make it. And when I read mm-hmm. it as a 33 year old man, I'm like, oh man, I sure oh, hope man. they're going to be all right. Like, <laughs> yeah, turn, like, yeah. ooh, you guys, <laughs> I hope you guys, like, literally last night reading it, my first thought was because they talk about like getting out to the desert and getting jobs. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. did Keith bring his social security card with him? Right. And then I felt justified because when homegirl Chris looks at her fucking wallet in the end of the book, she has hers. Like, it's a weird detail they have that's really smart because if you're going to run away from home, you're going to take that. But Keith Mm -hmm. left, like, right from work almost. Mm -hmm. Like, he steals the Skylark, as far as I can tell, and picks up her and they get the hell out. And you don't really get a sense of, like, how much time elapsed from the murder to that. Right. So I've always, like, literally, like, reading it, like, like, you know outside of the fact that like when she's doing the sketch with her tail wagging and I'm, my heart shatters into a million or melts, you know, down <laughs> into a larger heart. Uh, like, but post that, my first thought was like, how are you going to get a, you, you have your social security card, high school boy. Like, how are you going to get that job? <laughs> now I get that it's the seventies. So it was way easier to change your name and start a That's new life true. back then. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it was definitely like one of those things where I was just like, mm. like, how's, how and are you guys going to do this? And you need your, don't you need your high school diploma to even get any job? Yeah. Have you graduated yet? And so, yeah. So there's so many elements like that. I think he did. Mm-hmm. Cause I think he gets his job after he graduates, but I could be wrong. It is so vague. Um, <laughs> Because it's oh, summer. Oh, I don't know. I don't see. That's the but thing that's it. They like, never damn. play anything besides the story. There's there, yes. it's This book creates details. And then you realize that there are so many less details. But I think they must have graduated because Chris goes to Marcy's that time and sees them having a graduation party. And mm-hmm. then that's when she 
decides to like let Chris give her the house. Yes. Yeah. Like that's when she goes like, Oh, is there something you want to show me and does all the stuff is after, after that. So it makes me think that like that chunk of time must be like, we just never see Keith's graduation because it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. What's it going to add to it? Like, what, it doesn't add anything. That's not... Yeah, exactly. It, he doesn't even care about it, so why should we? You it's never even really see... It. It's uh, See, now I'm having, like, thinking out loud on air, so, like, the, the English <laughs> student in me is activated. Is like, do you ever really see Keith in, like, the same locations outside of Eliza's house? You know what? I feel like my answer would be askew because I didn't realize Keith was Keith until probably... Oh, uh, that's true. Uh, like, and I have to read through, because, like, he's always wishing he was somewhere else, and now I'm thinking to myself, like... Was he really that clever that Keith is never really in the same location every time except for Eliza's and and the house he's house sitting because those are like his two anchor points. I could be wrong. I could mm. I could be blowing blowing smoke, but uh I wish I, I like I want to talk to Charles Byrne and be like, "What did you mean by this?" But it's also like he leaves it so much I feel like he'd just be arm. like, "You don't but I'm going to walk away now." Yeah. He just and I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, he leaves so much <laughs> Yeah, he leaves so much open to us, which is I think is great. I think that sometimes it's it's interesting really too if people read Last Looks. Last Looks has an ending, so that's oh. what's funny too is like this book has such a minimalist, ambiguous ending, whereas like Last Looks has a fucking ending ass ending. And it's funny because like I feel like you could be like maybe this guy just doesn't know how to end things because he's artsy, and then he does Last Looks and you're like he writes oh. maybe one of the most like emotionally punishing but also very simple endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll articulate more of that to you off, off mic if you want, but like, it's, okay. it's such a wild thing where like, I remember like finishing the book and going, fuck, that is like, cause I thought like, oh, maybe it'll end in something weird. I'm like, nope, he's got an ending in mind and it is, he's going to punch you in the stomach. Uh, and, and uh, in a way where you're going to think about it for a while. Uh, I know I just finished saga and I was like, Bleh. I, uh, that's, that's on my list of one of the ones I'm going to charge into next. Is it done? I, I know it's oh, supposed it's to have more like it, it better have more. Oh, my God. Because I know they have the 54 I, issues or whatever. But I think he and her he, or one of the two of them said something recently that there is more coming at some there's point. There's got to be. But they both there's needed time off. Yeah. I can't believe you haven't dove into that. You. I read the will. first volume when it first came out. Like okay. when the first trade say, came out years ago. And I've been kind of walking deading it where I'm just let it get really long. And now I'm just going to like power through like 50 issues in a run. Right, right, There's, right. I've, I've got my, my stack has gotten far too large recently. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you know what? There's never too many comics to read. I last through, I finished Scalped and Why the Last Man in like a month. Like was just just tearing <sighs> John through. John just finished that. Uh, which one? Why the Last Man. Oh, that one's great. Uh, Scalped yeah, is a fun I mean, run too. Cannot recommend enough. Jason Aaron knows how to write a book. Uh, <laughs> also, ha- his Thor book is still the most metal fucking title ever. Just Thor the God Butcher. <laughs> my brain literally whispers fuck yeah every time i read it like it's just the title not even the book itself it's just like the god which are fuck yeah like <laughs> like because the teenager is still alive in there uh, oh of course yeah uh, yeah. yeah and so I'm, I'm trying to think like if, let me check my notes and see if there's any other shit that yeah I please out. i got the carson mccullers out i hate that that please. was on my notes and things to make sure to hit uh <laughs> i like his stuff seattle yeah the the horrors of human interaction uh, or the, like like the way he normalizes the plague kids that they're not bad people, but they can also mm-hmm. be selfish and shitty. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, oh, the short. Did we talk about the short? 
The short? No. Okay. The short. The short film version of Black Hole. Oh, yes. So yes. For those of you, if you have read this and you don't know, there is a 10, 11 minute short film adaptation that was kind of a proof of concept that was done by Rupert something. He's the director of the Snow White and the Huntsman films. I have it written down somewhere. Um, and it is interesting because it adapts. He basically smashes uh, two. Uh, it is Rupert Saunders, Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, it is basically taking two chunks of the book and combining them into one because it is. Okay. Uh, did you watch it? Yep, I did. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, that didn't happen exactly yeah. as so, it was in the comics. So it's when Keith is house sitting the house. But inside of that is the moment where he meets Eliza is within that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, then it skips. To and the you part get the Chris bathtub scene, too. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I thought was so cool how they tore apart her skin that like that. Really and how, that was really good. I so, like that. And, it, and again, cool practical effect. Like, you know, turns out flesh covered liquid latex can really make your brain hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. And I, it's also interesting. And I think that's why you think Eliza's naked because she's na- fully naked in the short. Yeah, and that's that was the last thing that I just watched it right before we started recording, so that's probably why. The I, the other thing I think is interesting the book like or that that's a weird animation or, or art thing is I love the way they animate her tail under the skirt as he's following oh, her down yeah. and and again mm-hmm. back to our thing of like how she knows he's kind of watching the skirt and it's, it's yeah it's so, there's so many weird layers of Freudian madness there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so yeah and so it's uh uh you know but that short's really neat it's it's uh, i know david fincher and alexander aja have both attempted to get this made i still think like a fincher is maybe one of a handful of directors that are looking like you do a good job at this like (laughs) like if if, you know if you could make turn gone girl into like a crazy horror movie like you can do this like i hope that they make this one into something and i hope that they do it right i really like the way they did it in that short and how dark and gritty that it needed to be like i'm telling you torn because i would love to see it done but i also worry it would be done poorly so i'd almost rather not have Mm. it than and have a cool short that captures the tone really well yeah i see instead of getting like and again i I don't hate this movie but instead of like getting like a world war z or something like that where it's like it wouldn't be that bad like also world war z is not a terrible movie it just has nothing to do with the book but like black hole is one of those things where like the visuals and the tone are the whole book yeah and so like if you fuck those up which most people would because it's a real high wire act. Like I don't think you could have a, a real bombastic or a cool director do it. I think you'd almost have to have like some weird art house person who doesn't normally work in effects or something like that, you know, who could mm. to do it. Or like I, yeah. my dream would literally be just like Richard Linklater makes this as a movie. Like, cause that like feels so perfect and he's mm-hmm. never done something that dark before. That, mm-hmm. like, this feels like if Richard Linklater could make a horror film, it would be this. And I feel like a lot of people say Cronenberg would be good for this, which is great for the body stuff. But, like, Cronenberg is a very cold director emotionally. And this mm-hmm. is so, so, so... Like, you could do... I feel like it would be easier to do Black Hole as a play than it would be as a movie. Ooh, because it's actually, all about... Yeah. You wouldn't have to care about the effects as much then because you could just do yeah. something. You know, it's just like when you do The Elephant Man. It's just somebody mm-hmm. moved and contorted. Like, I feel like yeah. Black Hole would work almost better as a play than a movie. I wonder how the timeline would play out because the comic book timeline is so interesting. And, you know, gosh, it would have to be someone who can really, really think way outside Are the box. Are you listening, Tony Kushner? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't even know who he wrote that Angels is. in America. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to think, like, what's the most like complex play, play I can think of that's also dark? And Sarah Kane is dead, so Tony Kushner's the next on the list. <laughs> or I guess Tracy Letts we could give take a chance at or something. Um, <laughs> I've spent entirely too much of my life reading books, Tess. I apologize. No, I will wedge myself. I do not know how you fit all of that. Well, you know how you're married brain. and have great relationships with people. <laughs> Yeah. I have books instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. Love you, Ben. Um, I love her. Because she'll listen. Uh, she, she will. I love you more than a lady with a tail, my love. Uh, Aww. Yeah, Taylor's coming on later this month. Also, gonna... Taylor would be super cool having a tail. Let's get super serious. She would own that. Yeah. She'd be like, yeah, what's up? That's that's, that's <laughs> a little bit of it. I'm like Taylor could rock a tail. Turns out that's part of my list of requirements. It's for a good relationship. <laughs> Could this lady be comfortable having a tail? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put the tail in Taylor. It's, uh, it's also it. weird. The tail in the short is wild because it's like a piece of CGI for most of it. And they yeah. really let it move. I kind of love it, but it is like it's it's way more fucked up in real life or like, like in, in film than it like, is in the what? book. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And the book is a little shorter, but this one's like it's you can long. see the spine like, bones. Did you see the movie Splice? No. It is a weird fucking movie about a <laughs> married couple of scientists who create a new creature with their DNA and alien DNA, and it's weird and and sexual and a real nightmare of a movie. It's it's cool. It's one of those movies that like I enjoy, but I can recommend to no one. Uh, oh, okay. But the creature in that has a very similar tale to hers mm-hmm. in the short. And I just like, I remember thinking like, like, all right, there is a world of tail people out there and I need to not know about it. <laughs> tail people unite. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> but uh, well, this was a goddamn delight. Is there, is there um, anything we didn't hit on that you wanted to touch on? No, I love that we were so thorough with this one because you, I mean, I had notes, but I knew that you were going to just just be yourself. I feel bad there's because part of me is like, oh, there's still like, like I love the design of his friends because I love the friend with the shitty round sunglasses because we all oh, totally yeah. have like, like he's like John Lennon sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. and like the 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 fatter friend who like has the weird unhealthy relationship with that other girl. Like I love yeah. the scene of the old that Jill's older sister crying in the car is such a real fucking thing. Yeah, he didn't just write characters in here just to have characters. They all had their own little story and reasoning. And he said a lot of it's autobiographical of his time growing up in the 70s in the Seattle suburbs. Well, even in the beginning, he has a note that says to... um, Oh, and it's all his friends, yeah. Yeah, this book is dedicated, and then there's all list of people, and then in the end he says, I never forgot you. There's like 20 people, and it's all their first name, and I bet you that's all the people that he used to just hang out with. And, and, you know, I love... Even in like the the scene where he goes in Lizard Queen, like that that I, that's the issue that I might have to buy and frame in single issue. Like I worry there's a the, the problem is like once I start buying chapters from comics I love as single issues to frame, that's a dark road to head down. Because like <laughs> if I buy one issue of Black Hole, I'm gonna end up with twelve framed issues of Black Hole. Yes. And if I have twelve framed issues of Black Hole, I'm gonna end up with twelve framed issues of Watchmen. And then like. Yeah. There's entirely too many issues of Sandman, so like I can't start yes. going down this. I've already got the problem of the vintage X Men book, so this has got to stop. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and but that one might be the one exception. Is like that might be a thing I need to have in my office, just a framed copy of just the chapter Lizard Queen. But part of that being because that the the drunk drug dealer friend 
you know, and he's in the house. He's like, why the fuck are you in my house? He's like, I'm with, with Eliza. He's like, what? Because he's possessive of this person he has no relationship yeah. with. He's just looking for a fight because he's drunk. And, like, mm-hmm. everybody knows that scenario where, like, somebody gets too drunk and is a problem and it's way upsetting and you just have to pretend it's not super upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, well, they're also very used to it, too. They just kind of let it happen. Yeah, it's- and, like having that be the thing that precedes you losing your virginity is like such a great juxtaposition of like teenager where it's like, Oh, I had this magic moment, but in the part of my magic moment, like all these other things happened. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's deep. It's, it's so deep. And like, it's like crevices of my mind that I've shut off or just don't want to like think about, which is like my teenagers weren't terrible, but they were, confusing as all hell because I like like you I was that weird kid that nobody understood and just told to shut up um and so like I have I'm like all right never be that person um so I mean not aggressively so but I understand where it's like just teenagers are just so fucking you don't know what you're doing or where you're going or how the hell life is gonna work out you think life ends when you're done with school and for some reason during school and high school you think there's this hierarchy of somebody's actually a grade older than you that you think that they're actually better than you you know just these things that are so not true and then you see it and I'm uh, almost 30 and I'm looking back and I'm like talk I just want to be like listen listen child this is not gonna matter in 10 years I I have that fantasy many times where I'm like man if I could pull me aside for 10 minutes and just give him (laughs) a a list of of things we've learned and if you could avoid but also like you know, the horrible mistakes you make, no matter how much you wish you could undo them, like do lead you to where you are and who you are. Yeah. And, and so it's such a mixed bag where I'm like, Oh man, I sure wish I could give me these like five pointers, uh, you know, avoid this, do this faster, you know, focus on this, give up on this, you know, and stop thinking about this and stop hanging out with this person. Like, yeah, would be amazing. Except for the fact that you and I both know that our past selves would 100% not listen to us. Oh, no way. No way. Like, I'm sure I got that, that, you know, guidance angel or whatever telling me what to do. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't listen to authority. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was real. It was good. And I'm so glad that I read it. Um, I don't know when the next time I will read it because it is like, it's a ride. Like you have to be mentally prepared to just go into that world head first. Like I, I mean, it, I, I, it kind of. I'm trying to think of the words like it really made me dive into what I wanted to say here. And like, it's just so relatable and it's impressive that he's able to remember so vividly how you feel during those times because you do evolve over time and you might forget those lessons, you know, that you learned back then. But he is like, no, these, you know, this is this is what happened in these years, which I think is just oh, yeah. beautiful storytelling. It's it's you know, it was funny, like as this episode started getting closer where like as I started to do a reread and stuff like that, where I'm just like fuck man like i have to put more work into this than i was planning because i have to do this like whereas like miracle man or, or not mr miracle i get those confused mr. Miracle. mr miracle like was is a fun read and i think it's a great comic and i think it has a ton of pathos and a ton like, like i could mm-hmm. you know like i did i could run a line on how great that book is forever yeah. but like this was a whole other level that like, I think initially my, you know, normally when i talk about comics i can just be like oh yeah this like that, but i'm like no i'm dealing with one of the like important ones that that there's not as many things that i've read you know like you know i i think of black hole in the same vein that i think of like mouse or i think of like 
you know, li- you know, like the best of Love and Rockets, you know, or or you know, things of that nature, where it's like it's kind of transcended the classic idea of comics into being like a piece of enduring art. And I was like, if I'm going to be like the person who comes on and goes like, well, I sure like this book. It can't be just like, the like, it's great. Oh, the characters. Oh, Oh, and the the art. Like I, I was like, I can't, I would have to take my own life if that is how I approach talking about black hole. So like all of a sudden I'm writing things like subconsciously playing into Freudian's idea of the sexual id in that phase of life. Like, like, and and just like, like reading interviews and going through, you know, psych papers and shit going, like, I gotta like do this just <laughs> no. And I'm so good that you did because I, I know I was like, Hey, we may talk for an hour. And I was like, what am I saying? It's 13, 12 fucking issues. There's no way you could sum this up. Also, in an hour. Like, my favorite deep. catchphrase is not a thing I say, but a thing I'm told, which is that's the longest episode of the of our podcast we've ever done. No, I hold that record with several shows. <laughs> <laughs> you officially hold I, the record. And then for I have OCD. to come back and do more. Like, yeah. <laughs> I got to reset because some ambitious person's going to be like, nah, man, I'm going to talk about Superman for four hours. And I'm like, oh, well, help me, friend. Oh, friend, please. I have yet to begun <laughs> to talk. We're going to do an 11 part Madman series. <laughs> the fear on your face was very real there for a second. <laughs> was it? <laughs> she was like, oh, no, I have to kill him. <laughs> No, no, I would never. Oh my god, no, Kyle. I love that you can come on here and you just, you know, you could be yourself. One of my just favorite like... shows to do, Tess. You're the fucking best. Oh. It's fun every time. Yeah. Oh. Well, you're. Um. So we have to. This is. We are not recording this on October 10th. We're recording this very far before October. On 10th, me and Taylor's you're... anniversary. <gasps> August sixth. Happy, Happy anniversary, you guys. Yeah, we're gonna watch yeah. Parks and Rec on Zoom later. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> I love that. Of course you are. You guys are so made for each other. It's, a, it's, it's a good just time. adorable. We're, we're... I love when we were texting and you took a picture of you guys hanging out. And I was like, hey, cuties. Oh, my God. It's my friends. <laughs> 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 well, thank you so much, Kyle. Seriously. Thanks for like, having me. You... This, is, this is fun. 31 days, you... man. Props to you. Dude, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite a ride. I um, I have done some awesome ones so far. I can't believe I've made it to day ten. I just remember the other thing that I've written next. I was like, I feel like there's something. Oh, okay, okay, real quick, because I'll be curious yes. if this comes up in your 31 days. So it's it's me laying groundwork to try to make connections. Has is anybody on the run hitting any old EC stuff? Um, like Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, the like 50s uh, horror comics doing well i'm doing tales from the crypt the 1972 movie oh okay uh which is yeah. you know inspired by the comic um yes. it has a couple, it has yes. the that version of all through the house uh you should do that and then yeah. you should watch that version of all through the house and then the tales from the crypt tv show version of all through the house because it's real fun okay. how they're different um but the the reason i say that is the, like charles burns in the 1992 comics journal article talks about how EC Comics and Harvey Kurtzman and Mad Magazine were a huge influence on him, like I had mentioned earlier. And mm-hmm. a lot of his early stories that were kind of prepping him to write a long form thing like this were uh-huh. him writing his version of EC Comics stories because old EC Comics, which were largely written by Harvey Kurtzman and then drawn by this kind of collective of different artists like Johnny Craig and Al Feldstein and shit like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex Toth, like, and each one had their own style, and Kurtzman would kind of write to their different styles. But the EC horse and sci-fi stories all have, like, kind of a twist, where it's okay. usually like, you know, like in All Through the House, I just murdered my husband, and now a serial killer dressed as Santa is trying to get into my house, and I can't call the police because I just killed my husband. Oh my god! 
and that's you know and they all have things like that where it's like a fun flip that makes it horrifying and he his early work very much has that feel but instead of it being like i murdered my husband for a big check it's sort of like i wanted a popsicle but then like these three-headed dogs kept telling me there were no more popsicles but when i got there they were but they were only grape which i hate like it's you know like that's like a horrible version of like that kind of thing but just like taking all of the bones of a horror story and turning them into these like dream logic things that ultimately turn them into nightmares Mm. you know oh and so if anybody does uh any ec stuff that'll be fun because like i i'm a big mm. big nerd for that stuff i did when i was in high school i did like a project for my history class you got to pick a subject in the history of comics and it mm-hmm. was largely an excuse to did. both do to study ec comics which were harder to get at the time and also mm-hmm. like going down the rabbit hole of discovering tijuana bibles which were old porno comics from the 40s and 50s Wow. Uh, yeah. If you ever want to go through a weird rabbit hole, many of those are scanned online. And if you ever want to know what Popeye looks like fucking, they exist. They uh, exist. They're on there. And, and uh, uh, you know, so so that element is also kind of an interesting thing, too, is that, like, not only is he, like, pushing comics in these new and interesting directions past, you know, where people think of comics, but he's also doing it out of a historical tradition of things that were what comics were and were artificially shut down by the comics code authority and conservative America coming out at comics. And that's the reason that superhero comics came back is that you couldn't do dark storytelling or ghosts or zombies or werewolves legally in comics anymore. And so like the silver age happens because the entire run of like what happened in the fifties and the artists who worked on them and all of that is kind of erased by history for a long time. And it's not until the eighties and things like Fantagraphics and the comics journal and raw magazine. And, and yeah. also like the sixties underground guys like R crumb and Kim Deach and stuff like that coming to prominence, celebrating guys like Johnny Craig and, and Alex Toth and stuff like that, that brought this whole other aspect of comic book storytelling that was totally rewritten by Marvel and DC and like bring mm-hmm. it too. And that to me is also part of a cool thing is that like guys like him and, and stories like, like a velvet glove cast and iron from Daniel Klaus are picking up the horror of EC fifties comics, which was this very Americana storytelling of horror and turning it into the world of horror that comes out of the social issues of the sixties and seventies and comes out into the eighties and nineties as this more, acid tinged surrealist nightmare that we're living in in a world where like everyone's wearing neon shorts and on cocaine and saying America's going to win forever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> sorry. That was part of the notes I had to get out. Uh, now for real, it. we I can love, stop. I'm so it. sorry. No, no. Second wedgie. I love it. Please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I will never stop you. Kyle Clark. This will be fun. They'll, they'll have already heard my X-Men episode by now, which was yes. chronologically is recorded the last of the three episodes I've been on. I am excited because uh, two episodes in, I have seemingly mostly just like rallied uh, against like mainstream comics. Uh, as <laughs> I mean, I, I do also feel like like I you know am am happy to be your your alternative comics and and dissenting opinion on this because like you are. I will I yeah. will go to the bat to for for indie comics and independent media until I am a. a, a powder skeleton because i just believe in it so much and so it's just fun to get to do that but it will be fun to talk just one of the most mainstream comics of all time that you guys will have already heard so just know like if you already heard that like i have no idea what i'm going to say on that because i love it but it also seems like it is in some ways antithetical to everything i have pissed and moaned about about comics for two full episodes of tess's wonderful podcast (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I love I I that's why I love having different co-hosts because everybody has a different view on comics and you know, it's like you can have two people on the show and they have the same views about things, but it's always I love it. That's what I want. Like this is like truly my journey into comic books. I want to know every single facet and weird rock that we're going to look at. Oh yeah, that's my favorite thing on Rad. My favorite rads are when somebody pitches a thing I don't know a ton about because then I get to kind of be the first listener to the episode because I'm yeah and the difference is like I get the best job in the world because I get to talk you know and I listen mm-hmm. to so many podcasts where I want to talk but I can't because it's a pre-recorded podcast and I'm just very lonely uh and uh <laughs> instead like getting to have that opportunity like that we just had an episode recently about Warhammer 40k a thing oh that I God. literally know zero about but my friend <laughs> Dave Apkarian who's a very funny comedian about a year and a half ago was like hey you're enough of a nerd and enough of my friend that i feel like i can trust you with this information i have started painting warhammer miniatures and i was like i appreciate you being close enough to me to trust me with that information because i understand how vulnerable that is and he's like right man i'm really getting into the lore i'm like are you comfortable enough to come and do a lore episode and we spend almost three hours and it's maybe the least i've ever talked on any podcast ever listening to this episode i need you guys to really appreciate how insane that is <laughs> and it's just him telling me four thousand years worth of lore Warhammer lore and it's not even all of it it's just one vein of shit and like to me like that's the most fun I've had in a while because I just love some tell me a thing I don't know about so I can go on the internet afterwards and immediately get too deep yeah <laughs> that's you man oh my god I love that no I don't care I don't care if you talk the whole time man it's it's I just like is, comics is... and you and podcasts so this is a real good you know real meeting of a lot of things that are good Really good, really good, uh, yeah, really good soup here. I love it. No, this is awesome. Thank you, Kyle. Seriously, I, I mean, do you have any other notes? Are you oh, sure? I think I'm good on that. Like, you know, okay. if, if anybody has follow questions or thoughts, I'm at Kyle Clark is rad on Twitter and Instagram, and I literally only have them to talk to people who listen to me on podcasts because if you're willing to spend time listening to me, I'm willing to, to respond back to your thing. I love that. I love that that you're like that. You're like, look, this is me, and if you want to talk, cool. Otherwise, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna come to your form of media that you'd like me to be well, at. I'm just gonna I, be Kyle. I think everybody. I have complicated feelings about social media because, like, okay. it's it's. Uh, I do think that there is certain aspects of it that are not good. I think there are also aspects mm-hmm. of it that are very good, and I think mm-hmm. that like. I have the opportunity to have in my life people that I can chat with about stuff that I care about. I think that mm-hmm. not all people have that. So the ability to find those people in places is a very important thing. And I remember spending a lot of times on message boards as a teenager. Uh, uh, I, I feel like I make the joke always that a vivid picture of like mid high school Kyle is uh, bootleg songs for, with a poor bit rate blasting off of Kazaa. Well, I play emulators <laughs> waiting for responses on my Resident Evil message board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is the most Kyle Clark it's, thing I've it's, ever uh, heard in my whole it's life. It's pretty wild. And so, uh, so, yeah. So, so for me, it's one of those things like the, the venue for the type of, of art that you create on social media is not in my wheelhouse. Like I tend to like to work a lot of long form with a lot mm-hmm. of like depth to it. But at the same time, I've seen people who are so good on it that it's like, I'm sure glad they exist because they're killing on this. This is the perfect format for them. So it's never a thing where I'm just like, I don't do that. I'm also like wildly anxious. And anything I would say like that would just make me afraid because I just don't want to get murdered. 
Um, right. It's right. just I, yeah. my constant fear of being murdered. I feel like is well, well, not a bad thing to have. Also, probably overblown. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, and uh, yeah, but I definitely keep it because like the number of cool people that I've gotten to chat with off of any number of show appearances and stuff. Where and, and especially if I can connect with somebody who is somebody who's in the middle of nowhere, and and would like to find somebody they can chat with and if they can just like the number of times I've gotten, you know, had somebody slide into my DMS or shoot out where it's like, Hey, fill in the blank thing. You're way too into. So am I, let's talk about it. I was like, let's go to town, you know, (laughs) and you know, or, or a lot of cases just like, Hey, here's an anime you should watch. And I'm just like, also thank you. Uh, (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, but this is, this is always best. Yeah. I kind of is rad for those things. Uh, You're the best. Uh, If you, if you go, wait, this asshole is supposed to be funny. Yeah. Feel free to go. I have two albums out on iTunes. I'm a person and absolute terror. I I am proud of both. Absolute terror was recorded two years ago. The other one was a few more years ago. Uh, I'm a person was recorded at meltdown, which is now gone forever Mm -hmm. because it burned down. Um, Wait, it did? Oh, yeah, on Monday. You find out on that this week's episode of This Is Rad, you hear me learn about it being on fire during the episode. <gasps> it's wild. Oh, uh, it's The store's been closed for over a year. Right. Um, so it's not, and you know, and I think the business there, I, I don't know if the Ruby next door was, if, if that burned, that's truly a tragedy because they were really hardworking people there. But like, uh, but it was very much a like, oh, this is good symbolism for the end of an era entirely. Uh, wow. And you were there. You were there. Oh, I wasn't there for the oh. fire. I was podcasting. I have an alibi. No, I know. Um, I know. But I mean, like, you were there during, like, the heyday yeah, and of, so, like, Meltdown Comics. You know, but even that plays perfectly into Black Hole of, you know, sure. Meltdown closes, you know, the, the theater closes, everything finishes. And, you know, in a movie, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, all right, you know, we had the theater and now it's great or now it's closed. Like, you know, whatever, like. But in real life, it's like it closes and like a year later it burns down and like, you know, you see some of the people, but you lose track of other people and, you know, everything shifts and new center of gravities, you know, appear. And like, that's life. It's this ever shifting Mm -hmm. mandala. And that's kind of cool in the same exact way that it is wildly upsetting. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, like I, I remember thinking that when we did your roller derby derby episode is like you're like. You know, in, in you know, when you're in it, you're just like, I'm a derby girl for life. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're like 28 and your life is so different than where you were at 25. You know, and I think yes. about myself at 28 versus 25 and I'm like, oh, it's a colossal difference. Yeah, I don't make long term promises anymore other than my husband, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I got the one, but that's all. I got one long term promise. I love you, but that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. And, and our friendship, Kyle. Yeah. That's, I'll, th- there we go. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, uh, thank yeah, you, thank course. you so much a gazillion times, man. I love having you on here. You're welcome any freaking time, and you know that. Oh, dude, you know it's, that it's an honor every time. It's one of my favorite shows to do by one of my favorite people. So thank you for having me every time. It's a good time. Well, goodness <laughs> gracious. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys tune in for. T- Whoa, hang on. Let me start that again. To. <laughs> I'm like, wait, we gotta. How do, what is my? Ending? I've turned your go. show less professional by simply being present for long enough. No, I love it. I, no, I love it. I love it. I'm sweating in my closet, but like, I'm having a good time, you know. Um, so my brain, my words kind of fall out of my head. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> Tune in tomorrow for day eleven of thirty-one days of horror. Cue outro. <laughs> <laughs> 
thank you for tuning in to Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast 31 Days of Horror. If you like what you're hearing, please follow OCD on any of your favorite podcatchers. Take it a step further and leave a five-star Apple Podcast review. (laughs) That really helps me out. Thank you. You can follow OCD on Instagram at OCD Podcast or Facebook.com slash OCD Podcast. Tune in tomorrow as I review another horror Halloween comic. 